We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The fifth column. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle of people that make it and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. I am I'm in the bay. That's where I am. I'm in the bay. Not actually in a bay. I'm in the bay. Uh, I've relocated at least for some time in an undisclosed location somewhere outside of San Francisco. Um, I, I look out my window and I can actually see the Bay Bridge. Like it's that sort of outside of San Francisco. Um, and I'm delighted to be with you, sort of. Uh, we'll have to see how this all goes because it's near my daughter's birthday. We're still recording at the normal time in New York, which means it's late at night. And by we, I'm referring to Michael Moynihan of Vice News, who I'm introducing first again for some reason. I'll, I'll get out of that habit next week. Matt Welch, who is the editor at large of Reason Magazine. And uh, we also are joined by a guest and we're recording at Nancy Rommelman's. And Nancy, for the past couple of weeks, has actually been in the room while we're recording, not getting introduced because usually she doesn't have a mic and that's because you know she's a woman and we put yeah. women in their place <laughs> True that's story. what we do here on this podcast True story. that's what we do we put them in their place i don't you know, know how she identifies nancy but i think I she's barefoot as a woman right now and <laughs> she's not you know what that right means <laughs> no, no mic. mic for you <laughs> no mic for you you should be seen and not heard and nancy is being seen and nancy you are looking marvelous Marvelous. Um, and we also have a, another guest. Oh, well, the, the guest is Ben Dreyfus. It, hold on a minute. Can you guys hear that? Why is it? Are you, is there like a, a helicopter? Something going it's, on? <laughs> is that your neighbor landing his helicopter? No, it's, it's the shower. My daughter is oh, yeah. taking <laughs> a shower in the next room. Okay. That's fine. See, that's good. The well, thing can, is, I don't, I don't actually think it, you're going to be able to hear much of it I can't on hear my it. mic. No, no. I, I, I can hear a little bit. So I, I think, have I, think I have better hearing than you. Yeah. Well, and this is that's racist. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, you're talking about Matt? Yeah, still racist because yeah. he's ginger. I just want to say, one of those I want to say something ginger. that is really important because I don't know when this comes out when when you'll be listening to it, dear listener. But it is the first night of Hanukkah. True. In Ben Dreyfus is possibly the worst Jew of all time. Yeah. <laughs> like, there was a Dreyfus affair in the late uh, 1800s. No. Big deal. <laughs> Dreyfus affair now is we have a Jewish man here on the first night of Hanukkah who's been out drinking with an axe and everything's a mess. <laughs> and he comes in here and he's got one eye <laughs> and he's telling us about the worst movie his father ever made, um, which his father also knows. So it's not, he's not like really oh, revealing. Also, I mean, let's be real. Like, like the Jews weren't even in Egypt. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> There's no archaeological evidence. No, okay. no. What, else sure. are, what else are we lying about? Yeah. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Exactly. Before we attack the veracity of the scripture, can we at least <laughs> establish the, the important, the most important detail here? Because Ben, I've said your name, Ben Dreyfus, and Michael Moynihan has alluded to your illustrious pedigree. Yes. But what is your affiliation? Because it seems that things are somewhat in flux. I know uh, that you had previously been associated with Mother Jones. I hear that you now have a Substack. And you'll have to tell me the title. I am familiar with your newly launched OnlyFans page. Um, <laughs> could you tell me what the hell is going on with you? Um, I am still associated with Mother Jones. I am the editorial director, one of three editorial directors in Mother Jones. Um, and I am 
currently still there un- through the end of this year. I'm going on leave in the beginning of January uh, to work on some personal projects. And but I I am still going to be having health insurance from Mother Jones. For That's a, the most important thing for, you know, many months. And then 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 we'll be coming back as long as as long as that is, you know, uh, the way that the, the days proceed into weeks and weeks proceed into months. That's what they. Yes. Caesar made the calendar, didn't he? Can we point <laughs> out? So you're just saying you're <laughs> not coming back to Mother Jones. All of the weasel words in that. There was yeah, yeah. Personal <laughs> projects. Personal projects on yeah. leave. Yeah. Indeterminate no, no, amount so like, of time. I'm going, on, I'm going. Look. So like, I love Mother Jones. Mother Jones literally gave me a career. Essentially, like before Mother Jones, I was <laughs> writing headlines. You to proceeded to set on fire. I, but I, I was <laughs> like, I was, I was like, I was like, sell, treating people into reading like reviews of iPhones at CNET.com prior to Mother Jones. And I love everyone there and I still do. And I intend to come back, but even though your editor blocked you on Twitter (laughs) that yes. Okay. (laughs) All right. What? What? She doesn't block me. She blocks you. (laughs) I don't want her. But you got blocked. I believe I was unblocked eventually. (laughs) Are you fucking kidding me? You got no, no, that's true. All right. Right. <laughs> Look, I don't agree with every editorial position that people have. Okay, God, this <laughs> is and Clara, who I who I adore and who you know is editor in chief and is very smart and, and wonderful. We do disagree about certain issues, and one of those issues uh, is about Facebook, and it it did lead to her blocking me. Uh, and I believe that I am unblocked now. <laughs> None of this is relevant to why I'm going on leave. Sure, no, you sure they're going to welcome me back. I am. I am wow. very sure. I'm. I've been promised. I have been. Promised. This is delusion, right? <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. It's like this she's is... coming back. She just went to get a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> she's gonna be back. <laughs> Look, gonna... as, as she promised. Yes, I'll yes. just tell you, <laughs> it's true that you still get invited to Christmas sometimes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Even I was entirely cut out of my family. Yes. But There's basically, something. I am going on on leave to work on sort of like um, a book project that is sort of about more uh, a personal thing about my uh, my experiences on the internet and, and is more uh, voicey about me that is somewhat doesn't necessarily totally align with a lot of the stuff. Um, and I announced that a lot of the stuff of your employer. You yeah, know. because yeah. I just wanted to like I, I don't think it's fair that that. Mother Jones employees for seven years of constantly getting emails being asked to defend my opinions and my tweets. And I so I announced that because these people thought I was a racist because I mentioned if you knew about ice in Hawaii 300 years ago. And oh, so, this was a, this was recently, this was, right? This was an ice. Yeah. He's ice, had a busy month. In the, yeah. So, so, so wait, we, so let's, let's can can we just on this book. Yeah. I did it without having a book deal. So I then created a sub stack. Because it was a Cortez burning a ship situation. And because of that, uh, you know, I'm going to get thrown out of my barber in a few months if I haven't actually sold this book. Who knows? You know, blah, 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 blah. We'll figure all this out. But so I created a substack, which you support Ben Dreyfus. I think it's dot substack.com. You can probably (laughs) Google it. Uh, Really selling it there. It sounds solid. The thing is, it sounds like it's going to be a winner. The thing is, look, (laughs) I would like to thank the hundreds of people who already signed up for it. Thank you so much to all of you. 
my um, dad, uh, <laughs> my his, dad, my dad in sock puppets. His, my dad yeah. is no, it's his girlfriend. Loves me. <laughs> uh, uh, well, my what I think you should do, and again, I don't know anything about uh, this stuff or business, is that you should just make your Substack a series of posts about how much you hate Bob Woodward, because I think every time you've been <laughs> on the show, I, which I think has been Bob a lot, Woodward. you. You end up having too many drinks and you're like, you know what I hate? And I'm like, oh, here it goes. I get the Bob Woodward bits coming. And then it's like, it's like the eruption of I mean, the volcano of like, just do Bob Woodward. Look, bits. I mean, I'll be honest. I have no problem going off on Bob Woodward <laughs> on this Substack. I mean, I was, I was, I, I was thinking about like, you know, one of the things with Substack is that the way to make them successful is always lean into one opinion that you have, right? Mm-hmm. To, I, I also think that, you know, there is a bad strain in progressive media of, you know, Everyone needing to have the same opinion. And so if you want a Substack, you just write that 10,000 times in a row. But I thought that actually my sell is going to be that I'm going to acknowledge it and not do it. <laughs> uh, yeah. But what I am 100% willing to do <laughs> is make it about how Bob Woodward is a total fucking prick. <laughs> yeah. Is a bad man. Yeah. He's, no, he's one day, if there is a hell, Bob Woodward will burn in it. Wow. Wow. I mean, there's not a hell. There's, there's not, but yeah. But that if there was, Bob Woodward, he would be mom. there with M- Mark Felt. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. the two of them together. Oh, he was he, and just for those uh, who haven't gone deep into the 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 archives of the Fifth Column, and if you haven't, you're making an enormous mistake because we've been <laughs> yeah. right about everything. We've been right about everything. So you, yeah. Look, yeah. Like, oh my god, especially Camille, are. but especially Camille. You know, that's true. You know what I call him, right? Black Rasputin. No, he he's like, looks into the future. Black, Black Sputin, I think is what it is. The portmanteau there is right. Black Sputin. Be, because also Rasputin was remembered for being right about Yeah, well, he was also remembered for being... He, he was so right about everything, they had to kill him and throw him in the Volga. Over and over and over. They just stab him and he would the poison. He wouldn't work. And then he... That's how good oh, he was. Chopped him in a river. Like... Wow. <laughs> that... That's just a bit much. That's a bit much. It's <laughs> uh, a bit much. Uh, so what happens? So, you go to California. Happy birthday to your daughter, by yeah. the way. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, she did. She had a great birthday, um, and we celebrated by just getting her out of the city. Um, well, Ben, I'm I'm glad to hear that you're okay because I wasn't really sure what's going on, and honestly, that explanation, I'm still not entirely sure <laughs> yeah. what's going on. Was that was that an okay it, yeah, type no, of explanation? That's the cry it, for help. But it but it sounds like it sounds like you're gonna be okay yeah can I mean, let I, me can tell I ask, you the story like, you said now i know that like whenever i come on here i often like am, you know the the liberals is all these things that everyone in my company should be embarrassed about well that and we pour a lot of booze so that you'll tell us all sorts of things that you promise yes. not i to mean say. that's I, the, so. our, the way of getting a secret out of arthur schlesinger just get him yes. drunk. but like <laughs> but it's the vino it's always the, the vino so suddenly he's like yeah kennedy did he was not only fucking marilyn he was fucking bobby too <laughs> but, like, <laughs> the thing is is that what, what i do want to say is, is yeah, that i know that that, like, that secret ever came out in, in, a, very, in a very earnest way like i i i, I don't want i i do like want, want to say that like Clara Jeffrey and Monica Bauerlein at Mother Jones have been incredibly supportive of me while I've done terrible things over these years, like including coming on this podcast and saying and saying things. <laughs> Do like they, they know that you've they, come on this podcast they, and said and they, things? They have been, they have been in, like, I could not ask for better bosses to have when you're going through the last few years where sort of like the cancel culture thing has gone on. They, they better than anyone else knew that like we should stand by 
this employee, even though there's thousands of people saying they're going to boycott him for a tweet because they knew it was bullshit. But what is the, what is the either tweet or the view, which is like something that doesn't kind of line up with mother Jones's politics. What is that thing that's been the most problematic for you? Well, I mean, let's the, the one that's newsworthy. It's like just a week ago, right? Five days ago. He had a, a really funny, stupid tweet, which is what Ben does. Yes. Um, That's why we uh, have him on the show. Which we yeah. have him on the show. Yeah. Uh, was like, I, uh, I'm I was para- like, I'm paraphrasing here, but like, uh, wait, 300 years ago, people in Hawaii, they didn't even know what ice was. <laughs> Think about it. And this became Ben is racist because like, his follow-up example was South Africa. And yeah. maybe that was ill advice. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, here's the thing. Actually, my tweet was less problematic than even the way you paraphrased it. It was... If you lived in Hawaii 300 years ago, you wouldn't know about ice. Think about it because it's about the geography. <laughs> it has nothing to do. It's a statement about like, you know, prior to global connectivity, people's knowledge was limited by things like geography and in warm places, mm. you don't have fucking ice. Yeah. And anyways, then I became a racist. And uh, I would just think that you were on <laughs> mushrooms or something. <laughs> That's like the, the insight somebody has on mushrooms. Once we hit yeah. like day three and I was like, you know, I'm still a racist because of this. And I was like, you know, in South Africa, also, it wasn't cold. And they were like, oh, well, now you're a racist because of South Africa's whole yeah. thing. Well, that's just true. And I was like, I don't know. what. I, and then I was like, in Virginia, 300 years ago, you wouldn't know about kangaroos. And people were like, <laughs> people were like, well, you should have started with that because that's about white people. And I was like, but. Although, play. although all of these, although all of these things are untrue, which is right. Important. But also, if you leave the game of what would I know in the past to people, places populated by people of European descent, it's complicated because they were all traveling with knowledge from Europe, from where wars they were all talking and fighting for hundreds of years. So it's a little harder. You have yeah. to find yeah. isolated islands and shit to make this work. Yes, but anyway, yeah. it's amazing don't, that people don't got do this exercised about. Such a totally bizarre string of tweets. <laughs> it's like that just shows you how shitty everybody on Twitter is. It's like I need to get mad about Completely something. Not. It's like when I look at your Twitter feed half the time, I'm like, is Ben okay? Do I have to send somebody by to check? I'm just knock on the door. You know, just the guy at the front desk, just knock on the door. And that's fine. And uh, you know, but that like I don't how do people get mad about these? I things? mean, not I only that, like if they had seen my tweets from the week before, I had been talking about how people in Wisconsin had never had avocados until NAFTA. Like, like, <laughs> objectively like, true. Like, objectively they true. Had no idea about the type of shit that I was saying. Yeah. I they, mean Yeah, like your privileged existence when you were peeling avocados and cutting them into little cubes. A guy oh in Sheboygan God. was like, what is that? Green shit that he's got. I know, literally, no one could have sushi in America unless you were a rich Hollywood agent until 1995. Yes, like people people were definitely and Mike Ovitz. Like people, people were definitely eating raw fish. They just didn't know. They didn't didn't know Uh, about it. They were lucky uh, to hear. Yes. Now, Ben, I want agent had a California. If that now I need to contend the best defense of free trade (laughs) I've ever heard. Yep. I, I need to contend with some of the fake news that has been spewed, though. We do know that Hawaii has a mountain. Haleakala, because I've been to the top of right. this mountain okay, let's, where there let's is snow this. and ice. <laughs> let's do Maui. it. Right, fuck it. Yeah. Fuck it. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Haleakala, you should visit. Let me ask you a question. Haleakala. Let me ask you yeah. a question. One, that was yeah, yeah. people saying. They were like, Ben, how dare you not know the geography of Hawaii? And <laughs> yeah, how dare you? snow on this big mountain. You're supposed to be well-traveled. 300 or 400 years ago, would you, how many people do you think climbed up this fucking mountain? They could see. They had eyes. They could look up there and say, whoa, that's a white thing Whoa, it's white up there. I'll tell you what they knew it wasn't. What? Exactly. Come? 
<laughs> this wrong podcast, Ben Dreyfus. <laughs> but like, imagine being the person who who did climb up the mountain and then tried to grab some snow and walked down and tried to explain it, and it melted as you walked down. And now you are trying to explain to people this experience you just had, and you're saying it melted. I don't know. Yeah. And they're thinking you're fucking wacko. <laughs> and and people were calling me a racist about this, and I just all I could say is like I didn't mean and you anything. were just a whack. I didn't mean anything mean. I didn't mean anything mean to the people of Hawaii. I was saying if I was in Hawaii, I wouldn't know that. And then people also called me a plagiarist of One Hundred Days of Solitude because apparently this is a part in that book that I never read, but I lied about reading in college. Yeah, <laughs> apparently. I mean, Gabriel Garcia Marquez will get you racist. a lot of uh, racist. Nails. He's wait, a racist. Wait, yeah. Apparently. This anecdote. This anecdote about Hawaii is in there. No, but about going up and having ice, discovering ice, trying to explain it to people who don't know about ice. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is well, probably one I, of the strangest uh, yeah, openings of so, the podcast ever. But well, anyway, let's, so, let's anyways, establish, let's establish is, this. My bosses ben and Mother is, Jones are incredibly patient. Yeah. <laughs> well, and well, I want to establish something else. Ben Dreyfus is not a racist. And anyone who suggests that he's a racist is a moron. Thank and you. Yes, this entire episode is a further demonstration of just how cracked our society is. Uh, yeah, um, I do maybe- want to say, Camille, I just want to be clear about this. That is absolutely true. I know Ben Dreyfus. He's been a guest in the show. He's a lovely man. He's not a racist. His father, on the other hand, is a racist. Yes. Yeah, so we have- <laughs> um, if you don't know his father, his father is uh, Bob Dreyfus. He <laughs> owns a used car dealership in uh, Pomona. Yeah. He's what a scum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just the worst. Dumped. What a dump yeah. that is. Certified pre-owned. He, uh, he actually has N- N-word, N-word Wednesday. If you come in and you, and you are willing to say nigger, he will give you $500 off the used car of your choice <laughs> which is a true story this is the true story and well, i've done it a, a bunch of times it's Camille, actually you, great you, because only black people can take advantage of that black people and and racists yeah and, and uh ben Dreyfus and matt welch who occasionally Bob Dreyfus. Uses Bob Dreyfus. The um yeah. who, by the way we were saying uh well before we started because i'm sure this sounds like shit because we have a complete technical meltdown because camille's in california and everything but in the time when i was trying to find cables to set this whole thing up uh, you did tell us that the uh, worst movie that your father was ever well, in. Well, I never said it. I never said it was his worst movie. No, but 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 Roger Ebert did. Roger Ebert. <laughs> yes. Roger, Roger Ebert did. Yeah. The movie that that like probably like ruined my father's career is called Krippendorf's Tribe, and it was made by the Disney Corporation in right after my dad had been nominated for Mr. Holland's Opus, and he was you know on the up. Yes. And he he was, <laughs> was paid a, a, a great deal. His agent then was, uh, I guess he was probably William Morris then. But but anyways, he he like does this movie with Jenna Elfman and it's called Krippendorf's Tribe. And it's about a professor at UCLA who is given a lot of money to go find a tribe in Papua New Guinea, but instead spends it on his family and they have a pool. And so instead he dresses his white kids up as... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love where this indigenous is Indigenous people from Papua yeah. New Guinea. Oh. And uh, then they fake it. They fake the tribe. To, what? Loincloths? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. There's a, there's a <laughs> scene wait, of circumcision. Wait. Actually, I'll say this. In Roger Ebert's review of it, where he was like, this is the worst movie that, you know, Disney Corporation's ever made. He was like, actually, I'll say there is one funny scene. And it's when Richard Dreyfus pretends to circumcise his son with an axe. So that then oh, undermines it, his other judgments there, about the movie. Yeah. If he thinks there, that's the funniest scene. Right? Can I ask you a question? Is there extensive is there extensive body paint and and blackface oh, yeah. throughout oh, yeah. the film? Oh yeah. Amazing. 
Yeah, amazing. <laughs> it's rising up to Camille's like a Netflix. What, what, yeah, yeah. This, this is, movie. This is not, not his worst film. This is his best soon. film. <laughs> what year was this? 1997 or something? So he was like the C. Thomas Howell of the 90s after <laughs> wow, That Soul is Man. the meanest thing that anyone yeah. has ever said. Yeah. You know, there was a review of the movie Poseidon where someone called my dad the red buttons of the... Oh, um, wow. Of like the 2000s, and I was very offended by it, but this was worse. <laughs> See, Thomas Howell. <laughs> I mean, it is because I, I kind of like red buttons. Yeah. 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 If it was red skeleton, it'd even be better. Anyways, my dad was um, the like wow. box office person in the late 1970s in the United States, and you yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, and it's been, it's been a tough ride. Right, totally. Like, it's hard to be a Jew. Yeah. It is. In Hollywood, especially. It's true. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. So on this, I mean, on this day of Hanukkah. son who was disabled. And, like, yeah. that was tough, you know? Is that you? I don't, is, <laughs> is, I don't know. I didn't know if there was a, another Dreyfus well, thing. I don't know either, do It I? was like one of but the... But there is, maybe, at least there's one. Was it like one of the Kennedys where they shipped them oh, off or well, something? Well, that... Kit Kennedy. Kit Kennedy. Kit Kennedy. Who they there's lobotomized a, there's in There's a book uh, about yeah. Kit Kennedy that is so good. Um, it's like a biography about Kit Kennedy. And they should make a movie about Kit Kennedy, but just change the ending. You know, wow. like, make it make it so that it's happy. I think... <laughs> Make it so it's good. We should say before Camille tries to get this back on. And oh my God, he's fuzzed out. He's, here. he's positive. He's positive. He's yeah. still, I'm still here. I'm okay. still here. It's just uh, if I change windows. Yeah. Is that. Anyways, uh, I work for the nation. Ben, yeah. Ben works the nation. But he's also here by insistent uh, popular demand of the fifth yes. column audience. Yes. Several listeners, including in our last Patreon episode, uh, we, we read a we read an from, email, yeah. They're, they're like, oh, is Ben not on here because you have a beef? Yeah, there was a, there was a there was a uh, a conspiracy theory that that there was some sort of Ben Dreyfus beef. Yeah, and uh, uh, I immediately based, shot that down, and then beef for a beef bit based of, on what? What would the beef? I don't know. Based? It was it's actually different. with it was a, a beef with you. I forget why. Either because he was uh, racist or not racist enough. I'm not sure. Oh, but yeah. Like something. <laughs> Something yeah. like you guys had a disagreement about something. Something about I mean, snow in Hawaii. I don't yeah. Know. I mean, the only disagreement that you and I have ever had on Twitter or any of us have ever had about, except for the fact that none of you have watched enough films of my father. Yeah. Are, <laughs> are, 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 we did disagree about Taylor Lorenz once. Oh, that's stupid. Man. Oh, don't start that now. No, no, yeah. but I mean, that she's gotten a lot worse since then. No, all right. Don't, 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 don't. We don't no, want I, to talk about this because I'm going to defend Taylor to the end. It, it's not oh, important right now. I just want to say but that. I, that must have been it. And what I'm saying is, is that has nothing to do with me being a racist. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> correct. Yeah. No, no. And but I will, no I will say. any of us because you guys are the only people yeah. that I truly actually care about who have podcasts. Oh, man. <laughs> on, it got really narrow at the end there. The only <laughs> people I care about <laughs> who have podcasts that have. And are libertarians. Three, <laughs> three names of it. Yeah. <laughs> Keep qualifying it. Um, and that's only partially true. Uh, um, well, look, this is the thing, though. You said we disagreed. I'll say this. You said that Taylor would come on the podcast and we could adjudicate some things. Let's see if that's true. Yeah. You I mean, said I, it. I guess, like, I shouldn't have spoken for her. You know, that was maybe <laughs> problematic of me as a man. I don't know. Maybe yeah. That was bad. Yeah. But also, I don't know. I don't, I don't want I didn't. I shouldn't have said that. What I did mean is, is that I, I'm Taylor's always been a very close friend of mine. And I think that everyone's criticisms of her are terrible and they're idiots, but <laughs> only Every, because they're idiots all in an isolated way yeah. that they're being mean about my friend who has yes. been wonderful with me. It's what you should do. You should defend your friends like that. I've never, right. yeah, unless, unless they're wrong. Guys. 
Oh yeah. After we a- did a thing with Andrew Sullivan and she was uh, incredibly nice. I, I had a very nice conversation with her. That's Speaking all of Andrew Sullivan, um, I just want to point out that I think Ben is the third or fourth person. Andrew is one of them too, who were basically their first public interview after they've created their Substack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like everyone, it's the, the fleeing to Substack year. Nancy actually just started the, sub- the Substack too over here in the corner on Saturday. Um, so Camille, when is your Substack uh, beginning? I mean, I actually, I actually have a Substack. I just haven't posted anything to it. You do? Yeah. Is it just dick pics or what? No, I mean, it's it's essentially just the title of the thing. I'm astonished just that anyone even manages to, to find it. <laughs> <laughs> Are these not coming to other people? I- well, let's let's agree that there will be no no more genitalia jokes. Wait, here. before we do agree to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he wants to negotiate. Let me ask I'm just saying there's serious the issues. The Henry Kissinger and, I, and you only have as, me for a limited like time. As like a parent, I'm not a parent. I don't have any children. But like yeah. I've always thought, you know, what would be a smart thing to do would be to let my child see my dick when they were very young. <laughs> oh my god. So that they would think it was huge. Yeah. Oh, and then never again. That's yeah. why. So that that's why. 20 years later they'll be telling everyone, "Well, my father's dick was 17 feet long." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it both explains why you don't have children. <laughs> yes. And I don't know yes. what else it explains. It just explains why you don't have children, actually. Yeah. No, no, I hide I hide. You got my fired from, from my job, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think you did. I mean, oh I'm not God. like Poirot here. It's not not really oh the gray God. cells are not putting together a lot of stuff, but geez. Yeah. yeah. The- well, look, guys, I probably have to jump in 10 minutes. Uh, obviously, there's a bunch of news that's worth talking about this week. Like there, there are people who are interested in sh- not shuttering Facebook, but smashing it into pieces, rolling back the Instagram acquisition. Um, there is a lockdown here in California. Almost as soon as I arrived, um, LA and the Bay Area essentially is voluntarily entering into this lockdown on the basis of this threshold that was set for um, ICU availability, bed availability in the ICUs, like 20 some percent capacity, they they jumped in and decided to lock down before the threshold was reached in order to be out of an abundance of caution. And the lockdown is all sorts of weird, but it is having some serious repercussions for various people. Um, and there are plenty of other things going on. The Biden uh, team is starting to shape up. So I won't be able to discuss all of those things with you guys this evening, but I, I look forward to hearing your discussions. But pick, about pick one. Some of those things. But you're in um, you're in kind of Silicon Valley now, Camille. So yeah, I am. I am. Uh, so is, are people uh, wailing, gnashing of teeth uh, <laughs> on the streets about uh, the fact that fa- Facebook is going to be broken up like uh, Yugoslavia? In is the- it going to be actually broken no, up? No, of course it'll, not. It'll take no, years, um, and, and then it, then it'll fail. Uh, it'll take. I mean, look. This is the thing that's amazing about it is I always compare this, and I don't know why no one ever mentions the fact that when it happens, when Europe was the first. I mean, the the EU was doing this, and then the US was like, we have to stop Internet Explorer. Do you remember this? <laughs> yeah. And it's like they were throwing their all their weight behind this. I'm like, no, it's yeah. actually not that great of a browser. And I was listening to something today, and they were talking about um, about how they shut down Vine. This is part of the FTC's uh, case here, right? I'm they not even bought- sure people remember these things. I don't know if people I, remember like it, the controversy over Internet Explorer being bundled with the yes, Windows. Yes, it was software. bundling of Internet Explorer. You have do people to use even it. remember what Vine wa- is? Do they? Yeah, remember? no, like six <laughs> second videos. I it's like Vine okay, failed. T- but it, well, no, sh- it was closed. It was doing very well. 
Was and uh, well, and Twitter bought it, right? Or was, it was yeah, exactly. It, and and they got nervous about it, and they have, a, I think, some sort of internal emails in which it demonstrates that Mark Zuckerberg is a businessman, and he's like, "Oh, this is threatening us." And um, the Vine thing is 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 interesting because all of this stuff is like when they bought Instagram, it was what two thousand twelve. The it was two thousand eleven that the, the conversation started. And they were like, we're uploading, it was an email, an internal email, that they're like, they're uploading, there's people uploading 300,000 photos a day on this on this platform. We have to look into it. 300,000 photos a day. It's probably 300,000 photos have been uploaded since I said that, right? right? And they made a good bet, they right? They probably it uploaded 300,000 lying pornography photos <laughs> of children <laughs> that, like, they need to get rid of. Like, they haven't properly fucking actually, like, managed. Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, like, this was a good bet on... on on their part, and everyone's talking about this. Well, I heard all these uh, things. People talking about Vine. It's like, does anyone is anyone going to talk about TikTok in this? The TikTok is like eating their lunch. This is what happens. I don't know anyone my age, which is you know like early sixties, who uh, actively uses Facebook anymore. I mean, that's Facebook. Not true. That's well, Facebook is like not true. Like, like but like, here, but Facebook, you have to admit that, and this is what the acquisition. This is what they're complaining about. But they couldn't have foreseen this in two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve. Is that there are there's a generation of people now who prefer Instagram. There was an attempt by Facebook, by the way, to buy Snapchat, and Snapchat said no. That's what they, they, the, the Instagram people could have said the same thing. But there is a uh, thing in the Wall Street Journal about you know they come with these big buckets of money. And what are you supposed to say? Well, you're supposed to say no. Well, are well, you? They come, I mean, they come with the buckets of money. A, they also they also threaten to clone your technology. That's usually the, the way the offer goes. It's like you can you can take the bag of money or we can axe you in the head. Right, which is what they did with stories, right? Like Instagram stories were, were just stolen from Snapchat. But like, let's say you have created an app called Instagram or its competitor, Hipstamatic at the time. And mm-hmm. like you have hundreds of thousands of things being done on there. and But there you have not monetized it in any way. And then you're offered a million dollars to sell out. But you have shares and all you also run it. And like, of course, that's a smart decision. And I mean, Facebook mm-hmm. enters into these arguments. They, they argued against the F- FTC a few days ago, yesterday or whatever it was, that they were like, you know, we've added features. The only feature that they've added that matters is stories that they stole from Snapchat. It, like the core functionality is the same. You you like these things. And, but what they did do is that they used all the data to make all their ad targeting better. Um, but the thing is, is that people's problem with Facebook has nothing to do with Mm-hmm. What people complain yes, about Facebook is that they don't like the news feed. That's 100% true. And yeah. even if they broke these up, if they spun off WhatsApp and they spun off Instagram, it will hurt Facebook financially by making their ads worse. But it's not going to change the fact <laughs> that your cousin is a racist and is sharing photos <laughs> that you don't like. like, like it, and it just isn't actually the problem that people truly have with Facebook when they talk about it. No, it's 100% true. I mean, the, the, the complaints that you hear about Facebook was particularly it was the top 10. And I shared with you guys today um, an old episode of The Daily, which is kind of, you know, I listened to it this morning. And it's from, I think, July or something. A former guest in this podcast, Kevin Roos, uh, talking about how uh, catastrophic it is that on Facebook, the top 10 posts are from like, What's the guy's name? Dan, Dan, Bongino, Dan Bong- Bongano, yeah. uh, Mr. Bongo or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, him and, you know, other uh, uh, sort of idiots. And 
they changed that, I think, uh, recently. They've sort of tinkered with it, and that's no longer the case. I mean, it's complicated. Like, I'm going to, all right. So I am, well, disclaimer, I am a Facebook defender traditionally. Like, I think that, that people blame Facebook for too many things that are actually just human behavior. But those 10 posts that Kevin, Kevin is like one of the smartest reporters in the world. Um, and I don't mean anything critical of him. He's he, like, I learn so much just from reading his stuff. But those 10 posts are news posts. If you actually look at all types of posts, it's it, it's more complicated. And the fact is, if you look at any single platform, people just like right wing populism. Like, like it's an alternative to the media. <laughs> right. You I mean, would say there's a guy named Ima- Rupert Murdoch who is the biggest enemy of Facebook. And he became famous and rich by de- proving this with newspapers, right? Like, and then there was one day after the election when Biden had obviously won that, that like all of the top 10 on that list were from the New York Times and CNN. And everyone was like, oh, well, yeah, Facebook, they must see what, how things are changing. Uh, they're, trying uh, to, uh, they're trying to talk about how, you know, now. now Wait, now, I'm sorry, who's the Australian? With the, you can't see what Ben is doing. George Zips. He's like, George Zips, uh, right? Oh, yeah, George. Oh, yeah. He's, but they're, 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 they were all saying, like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg must have flipped the switch, said now it's pro-Biden. But in reality, like, it changed that the next day. What happened that day was that there was a lot of Democrats happily sharing election results. Hmm. You know, like... So is it is it remain true that if you look in the past week or something that uh, Dan awesome. Bongongo yeah. or whatever is still <laughs> number one? Yeah. Um, but also, like, there was this thing that I'll now say that is now getting into, like, personal Mother Jones things. That, like, the Washington... The Wall Street Journal reported that they had specifically targeted us because to change this... Thing because they, they oh were, yes yeah, yeah they were gonna make this change and then they were like oh well it'll look bad and so they they altered it so that it would help Ben Shapiro and hurt Mother Jones and like I I created the Mother Jones Facebook strategy so like it, it the irony of me being the biggest defenders in history of them is that they had also like personally made my life worse when they did that but also like and that's bad but it's also not what even in that situation is the liberal like bond villain here here what they were doing was like trying to appear like they were even handed and they were doing it softly like the way that the way that engagement in these things work is that they're a cycle like you you make it so you unvalue a certain type of engagement so that slowly but surely you ever seen the movie office space sure you know how like they take one penny <laughs> And that then no one will notice for a while. That's how it mm. happens with like a cycle of a suddenly. Fra- fraction of a cent, actually. A fraction of a cent. Suddenly Ben Shapiro's things will do better than the liberal things because certain things will. It, it's not going to happen overnight. And if it was, they're the dumbest motherfuckers breathing because, you know, they they don't. The irony of all of this is that they just spent years trying not to get an FTC violation to break them up. And now they, <laughs> they, they, yeah. And of course, that the, they are very happy to point out, and they're right to point this out, is that the FTC allowed them right. to to acquire Instagram and to acquire WhatsApp. And you know, they say, "Well, hang on, what happened? Well, it's what you've done since." Well, what, been I mean, what's happened is that the political climate in uh, in Washington has changed towards antitrust particularly big tech. I mean, Mike Lee is out there this week 
saying, let's break up big tech. This is constitutional mm -hmm. conservative, hardcore capitalist, whatever guy, Mike Lee, um, saying, you know, enough, <laughs> ostensibly, enough, Matt Welch, ostensibly. ostensibly. Right. And, and like, uh, and, and, you know, of all the people who've been flying that flag and, and, you know, today, 106 members of the House of Representatives signed on to the release the Kraken uh, lawsuit in Texas <clears throat> to challenge the election. Just an absolutely batshit insane thing, including all these Freedom Caucus types. So, like, of all the people who once, you know, flew the flag of the of constitutional conservatism, Mike Lee, for me, was always one of the three or four uh, best. And the fact that he's out there breaking up big tech now, uh, to me, shows which way the wind is blowing. That wind was blowing in that direction for a long time already, with Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, they've been talking about this stuff for a really long but time. But the, the question well, is, I mean, it, look, none I'm, of these people believe anything, right? They don't. I mean, I, it, it's been amazing to see these uh, Freedom Caucus types who very quickly, it's not even that they've just made a, a like a, a turn of a half a degree or something. They have become populist in the sense that I cannot like distinguish them from a lot of kind of left wing populists. Like when I talked to Steve Bannon, like the, all the Bannon stuff. I kept on like saying, like, you're Chomsky. Because I'm just like Chomsky. And like the reason that I think that the, this is happening with somebody like Mike Lee, I wonder if, and this, you know, you can't, it's not falsifiable, but I wonder if they, that, um, you know, the, the, the Hunter Biden thing never happened. What would Mike Lee do? I mean, honestly, I think that that, that actually had a huge effect. Maybe on this is why I am on leave from Mother Jones, but let me defend Mike Lee. Like, yeah, you gotta go, man. <laughs> oh, sorry, before you, Camille's gotta go. He sorry. Like yeah, to before you Mike defend, Lee. before you defend Mike Lee, I've, I've got to jump. Um, I'm, I'm intensely interested in this and want to talk about it. These people have no principles. I, I can't imagine, um, that this goes anywhere. I also can't imagine that this becomes all that important to most Americans politically. Um, I suspect people will be much more concerned in the coming weeks and months with the material impact of the pandemic. And the associated economic fallout on their lives, uh, as opposed to this ridiculous um, effort to break up Facebook that is likely to improve the quality of no one's life, uh, unless you're a competitor of Facebook's. So not my on life. that note, I, I bought shares of it a few months ago. Uh, yeah, I, well, I that was that was your first mistake, buying shares. He's, he's made other mistakes. Put your money in Bitcoin. <laughs> um, well, gentlemen, I, I, I adore you. And lady, I adore you twice as much. And we'll do the thing soon properly when i'm in the studio next time we record yeah i just think the facebook thing is so so strange because the people making these arguments about it just tend not to have any knowledge of technology whatsoever you think that like a sort of base knowledge would be required you saw those those hearings in in congress i'm like right. what the fuck are these people talking about well i would make a i would a distinction there i think that actually michael and ted cruz know what they're talking about They've just decided to, to be yeah. dishonest about it, especially when they talk about Section 230 of the Communications well, Decency right. Act and whatnot. But I think Ben's insight earlier is the right one. People, uh, and by people, I mean people in the political class, so journalists and politicians and kind of the orbit around them, are mad. They feel a sense of disquiet about Facebook. This is not, by the way, reflected in the broader population, right. as you well know. Like they Facebook and social media gets much I mean, people you know, their their growth is flat over time, so it's not like they're hysterically popular, but it's still like it's, I mean, it's, it's a huge I, base when, baseline. But like people are are imagining that this solution 
will address the things that make me feel bad about them when in fact they have nothing to do with them. What they're going to do when they like go out and like replace section 230 is WikiLeaks disappears the next day. The internet archive, archive archive.org disappears the next day. Both Jimmy Wales and the archive.org people are like, dudes, you're about to ruin our websites that everyone loves and needs. Explain explain why that is to people who don't know. I don't even know why but, that is, but like, uh, because basically Section 230 protects people who publish on the internet, re- regardless of what they are. They could be a newspaper, they could be anything. It protects them from the behavior of their uh, users, their commenters, right? So like, if you change the rules of that protection, which was hard fought in 1996, the Supreme Court even got involved to some degree because the Hillary Clintons of the world wanted to make this really, they wanted to, to save the internet for the children or some crap. Um, and so this allowed people to have uh, and to foster these vibrant communities of human beings who they didn't have to be legally liable for. So if there's people who uh, are engaging in a way and, and WikiLeaks or not WikiLeaks, <laughs> Wikipedia is based on user engagement, they edit the thing, right? So if their behavior is in any way seen to be as uh, moderated or they're engaging with one another, the the... The uh, FOSTA and SESTA laws from two years ago were, was really like the foot in the door of all the stuff. This was the online sex trafficking laws that passed. And this is uh, always start with the name of like protecting kids from child porn and then everything else can tumble afterwards. But that for the first time made those people legally liable. If if you could see that someone in the reason comments uh, maybe uh, right. like had uh, some past uh, interaction that might have been um, uh, you know, uh, a prostitution deal involving a 17 year old, then reason would be legally liable. Right. So like, starting with there, go on. So like th- every, every publisher and every website owner knows exactly about this because they have dealt with whether to moderate their own comments. You know, like the, one of the, one of the like intellectual arguments not to moderate your own comments on a site is because if you moderate one, there's the assumption that you have read all of them. And so you tacitly approve the ones that you didn't stop just because they didn't say the N-word or they didn't say things like that. And and it's, you know, an intellectual argument because of this, because of like Section section 230, like it's not actually something they need to worry about. But if you actually make them worry about it, then it means that they do actually truly need to stop these things from happening. And it truly is like one of those situations where you stifle free speech, like you're you stifle it. It's not free speech, obviously, in the government blah 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 first amendment and shit and these are private companies but like it truly will mean that they can't let certain things happen because they're afraid of liability i mean it's it's a law if they if and when they change it and i think that they will i think no they won't do you really think section 230 i do because it's it's bipartisan at this point no it's not i mean they've said that like he's gonna veto the bill or whatever but even who's he Trump, Donald J. He's not going. <laughs> I don't think, despite your newfound, like, uh, you know, uh, separation, Mother Jones, I don't think that Donald Trump's going to be the president much longer, Ben, despite all of your predictions. To the contrary, <laughs> I think Joe Biden's going to be the president. Joe but, Biden has expressed interest in reforming Section 230. But he hasn't made it in a way that he's going to actually change it so that Twitter is actually liable for the dumb shit things that people there's say on been, Twitter. There's been a long kind of tale of this. And I, I remember in probably 2008, 2009, that uh, there was a lot of Robert McChesney around. Remember that? you? I think you wrote about this a, a little bit. Too. I wrote for a, a volume that he put together in, in the 
about the media in like uh, some book. The, the epistemic closure debate. No, that's Julian Sanchez. But Robert McChesney has <laughs> no. been uh, he's been part of the whole like media monopoly critique. Yeah, which we have to do something about this. About yeah. one of these thirty five media monopolies that are. Yeah, no, look, and everybody in this debate is completely misinformed about, or they have these bizarre ideas about what kind of effect Facebook is having on their political fortunes and on their party and on their president and their candidate. Actually, on, on comments, by the way, Facebook was a great boon to moderating comments because when I think it was in 2012 or something that Vice replaced comments with Facebook comments. Right. And all of a sudden they became normal and clean because your people were posting under their real names. Right. And they were, you could track them and all of a sudden oh, Facebook had this. Void. The irony of all of that was that that I agreed with that. Like that was one of the virtues of Facebook for a long time. But then there was an argument from the left that that why Facebook was terrible then was because it was stopping the ability of people who were from marginalized communities to have pseudonyms. And so they, they wanted it because Facebook used to, you had to use your real name. That was the, yes. in the DOC or whatever it's called. Yeah. yeah. Um, TOS. And they, they, I don't really know what it is now because people break it all the time. But like, that was an argument about, we need to be allowed to have pseudonyms on it. But pseudonyms are also what's created the entire thing of where people are fine telling you to go fuck yourself and, yeah. and, and, you know, yeah. the, all these things. And, and it's just not as, it, it's not as simple as, you know, the right likes to abuse this. It's actually like there's benefits to social media's anonymity, and they were argued, and people just forget about them because no one remembers anything. The, the, you're, <laughs> like you're, I mean, but what you said before is right. Is the human nature thing is that people don't really kind of grasp this because Mark Zuckerberg has become this villain. You know, Facebook, you know, was hugely important <laughs> in 2016 and throwing the election towards Donald Trump, all of which is complete bullshit and right. something that you can't quantify in any way. Um, but what I think is strange about it is that people like this stuff. That's it. End of story. Full stop. Right. People like Facebook. People like, like yeah. the weird stories on people Facebook. People love Facebook. People like conspiracy theories. It didn't happen that conspiracy theories became popular on YouTube because of a YouTube algorithm. It's because Americans and people in the world are conspiratorial, particularly if they don't know a lot about a subject. Conspiracy theories fill an enormous gap. There's an enormous literature, by the way, conspiracy theories that predates the Internet. And, you know, go back to Richard Hofstadter's, like, the paranoid style in American politics. Which has its own problems. Oh, my, has its enormous, sure. enormous problems. Uh, <laughs> very big problems. And I'm the first one, and I think maybe we even talked about this on this show, but the, the general instinct of, like, hey – um, you know, there's a weird kind of thing amongst Americans, not Americans, it's, it's, it's global, that, you know, if given the opportunity to choose the kind of Byzantine conspiracy theory or, you know, look at Occam's razor here and say, you know, it's probably just a boring kind of thing. Most people are going to go for the conspiracy theory. That always is the case. And we've said, like, oh, we have to stop Facebook disseminating this stuff and everything will be fine. I think Come that right. there's right. there's a really Please. there's a really great lesson to be had, and some people I think are starting to uh, talk about it and starting to understand it just right now, just with the way that planet conservatism, planet Trump especially, is reacting to Trump's batshit yeah. uh, challenges to the election. He's now what fully fully batshit. one for forty six. I think it might even be higher than that. Um, be, right, yeah, it's right, and and like uh, yeah. and, and and each one of these things are dismissed in the court. Uh, with extreme prejudice by like Trump appointed 
justices. There's nothing. Yeah, who always throw in a line of like, are you fucking kidding right. me? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's that bad. But like the insight in Ross uh, Doubt Hat. Um, who gave uh, us COVID. Um, who gave us COVID. But thankfully we have the answer. <laughs> can we now, now say, can now it be told <laughs> that we were early adopters of the virus because uh, we sat in a very none of us, enclosed None space. of us tested positive from that. That's the thing. The only- yeah, but the, the, the te- the, those first tests. We're like made by Albanians. They just like. <laughs> I mean, I, I got my, I got my latest uh, today. I got, I'm indestructible. People uh, like to look at Fox News, and there's been a lot of just absolute nonsense. Margaret Sullivan, unsurprisingly, wrote a typically idiotic column in the Washington Post like two days ago, um, saying like, you know, don't believe that Trump is mad at Fox News. Um, and then later on in the thing, she's like, I don't know what Trump believes one way or the other. Like, well, why did you write <laughs> yeah. this? Um, but like, it's a demand side. There's an audience for it. And so there are people who are servicing that audience. What Trump is doing in his legal challenges is not challenging this legally. He's challenging this publicly. He's right. serving this audience. There's a demand and Newsmax is jumping into it. Ben Smith actually had a pretty good piece about Newsmax and what they're doing right now. And it's pretty like openly cynical or openly opportunistic of this. There is an audience that wants to believe this. I mean, well, who's well, going to cynical, I don't know how cynical like, it is. Keep in mind that Newsmax is created and run by a guy who wrote a book about Vince Foster being murdered. Right. Yeah, I mean, so I he mean, has experience. So, yeah, he's, he's experienced in this. Like <laughs> Isaac, like, like the New Yorker interview with Chris Reddy is, is, is really instructive on this. He, he's so did Isaac do a review with him, uh, an interview with him? Yeah. And he talks about like, why would you do an interview with Isaac Chalmers? Reddy says like, you know, like, you know, I don't know. Agree with half this shit. It's crazy, but you know, there's a lot of people here who do, and I like. Yeah. to I'm in the. I'm a businessman, and like that's true. I guess like what I will say, just to lean further into the Ben having a Substack and yeah. being someone who <laughs> Ben Smith has a Substack. Ben, that's strange. <laughs> is that like I think that all of the things that you are describing are terrible. That the Republicans are doing right now. Like the, the, all these people are. If there is a hell, they will burn in them. But like. They're not actually constitutionally worse than liberals here. Like the difference between what's going on right now and 2004 with Ohio, let's say, is the Internet. Like if you add. Uh, It's absolutely true. If you add small money dollars to 2004 and you make it so that there's a lot of money that will go to you if you just say Ohio should suddenly be overturned by the legislature because of bullshit from Robert Kennedy Jr., like there would be a huge amount of like more support for it. But would there be 106 no. Democrat members of the House of Representatives no, signing on to that, more. which we like saw, the, or 18 attorneys no, general? No, 2,000 two may be the better you comparison think, there. Yeah, and also like into exactly. And also like, do you think I, I don't think like to get back to what, hap- what I was saying before about like Mike Lee, Mike Lee doesn't think these are going to work. You know, like Mike, most of these, I mean, some of these 106 of the Congress people in the Republican congressional GOP, these people are literally borderline. You, you know, these these people have been smoking fucking salts like bath salts and shit. But a lot of them literally don't believe that stuff. They're just 75 percent of them are lawyers, right? Like right. they're lawyers. Right. But they and probably every went to single really lawyer state schools, every <laughs> single lawyer that, you know, they went to what, like the University of Ohio or something. I don't really know <laughs> who's actually read any of these suits. Can't believe it. Like, just can't. Doesn't totally, matter. But like, I, I will say, like, if you are a per, if you are a Republican congressman and also, again, I don't want to defend them too much because these people are bad people and they are weak and small and shouldn't have been voted into office. But 
if you are a Republican congressman, what is your personal incentive to go against this? There's there's not, you know, like there there's. Are no, you saying Ben Drivis that incentives matter in behavior? <laughs> that's literally the main one. <laughs> The main thing that's, I guess, maybe I'd the real love, problem. I love watching us turn these people <laughs> like, one I mean, by I one. I got red pilled by libertarianism because of like you know zoning laws or whatever. And vaping, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that like it's just one of the crazy things that happens in the world right now because of the way that we all talk about politics is that everyone on the left and everyone on the right imagines that the people who they disagree with are caricatures. That they're not themselves like they 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 imagine that they literally are, there's all these studies about how the people who are the most wrong about people they disagree with are the most informed partisans. Right. Yeah. Because we all just like write little scripts in our head to meet our own narratives like Republicans are going to come to my house and shoot me in the brain because they have, are gun owners who are mad that Biden won. And and Republicans think that all you know liberals will come and try to fuck them. And force gay marriage on them or whatever because of this. And, if only. You know, I don't really know what they think. I'm not a Republican. Like, yeah, it's, a, but like, the script broke down a little bit there. But, but, like, yeah. but like they all are. There's lots of studies. Into you Ben's can, fantasy. You can fucking Google these studies and you can find them yourself. But like that's a, it, it's one of the reasons why like you, you, you know, in The Godfather, they say like, you know, never hate your enemy because it screws up with your fucking way of thinking about it. And it's just people are are wrong that in reality, people are actually quite similar. A lot of people, you know, just are busy and they do different things, but most of them don't like to jump into lava and burn their heads off or they think various different things. And they all think they're the heroes of their own story. And they're all trying to somewhat get to these same places. And if you start to think that they're literally cannibals, then you go crazy. And this is exactly what's going on because of this. Like the, those are 106 Republicans aren't doing, aren't, weren't born better they're just following incentives that are bad and also they're specifically quite stupid because of their voters being idiots i'm a democrat but they're not like there's nothing there there's nothing they're just reacting to psychological human issues with how you you know choose your own stories to see well you see that uh particularly with people in 2016 who came out pretty hard against trump right who are republicans you know the national review national review had an issue against trump and then what ends up happening is they see people on the other side people they hate so much like the worst sort of twitter types on the left you know going in hard against trump and they end up like moving so far from the never trump kind of world and end up defending Trump because the media is biased against him. Because he's been, and then all of a sudden you they turn a corner into just defending Trump in general. Right. I mean, Brent and, Bozell was on the was on the Never Trump. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, about one third of the people who wrote for the against Trump Mike Lee issue, right? Yeah. Uh, ended up was it, yeah. Ended up uh, coming. Yeah, Mike Lee was who um, he, most people in the administration were. I mean, you have two fake economists of Larry Kudlow and Stephen Moore who I think wrote a piece for the Wall Street Journal saying this guy's economic ideas are dangerous yeah. and now flip on CNBC and they card out, you know, the yeah, old Steve, Steve Moore was, to defend the most indefensible policies. You know? Stephen Moore was like, I, you know, I've seen the light about populism. You know, I've really like, yeah, yeah, no, you haven't. It. 
you have heard from middle America. Nothing. No, that's not an economist doesn't change their views right. because middle America says something. It's because the data changes. I but once I had a, a conversation to really hate middle America. I had a, an interesting conversation with George Will about this uh, at one point. And I don't know if I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but uh, so the against Trump uh, uh, edition of National Review comes out in January, February of 2016, early 2016. They take a hammering. It's a problem. Yeah. They lose subscribers. They lose donors. It's bad. It is a, an active problem that they have to deal with for a while. So that's a demand side issue, right? Like they don't It's when they come to realize that the pe- their, their readers are not um, sort of William F. Buckley acolytes. They're just – they're Republicans. Uh, well, but also – so who is George Will, right? In addition to being bow tie guy and whatever and he's been a thousand year uh, – the most successful newspaper columnist in America. Um, but he was also hired to be National Review's Washington correspondent right around 1972. Yeah, yeah. Right? So what does this new hire do? Smart, erudite, writes really well, has kind of his own sense of honor and whatever. He looks at Richard Nixon and says, nope. Yeah. This guy's a crook and he's not particularly conservative and I don't like him. Um, and he writes that for National Review, and National Review readers hate him for it, and he doesn't always get that stuff published in the magazine. It, it becomes a serious problem. Buckley defends him, doesn't always run him, or I don't know if it's Buckley's decision necessarily. Uh, I had a conversation with him about this uh, privately a couple of years ago, but he's just like, yeah, it's all history repeating itself, the same thing, because you had the demand side of the audience, the reader's. Republicans in general, they didn't want to believe the bad thing. Do you think that- And they, re- they rejected the conservative side, you know, right on right violence. Because I mean, just quickly, yeah, quickly, just because it, it is important to point out that it's not only the criminality, because in 72, that hasn't really sort of manifested itself. Yet. We've sort of- So where it's going, it's, it's just the fact that he is not a conservative. He's it's a, also- he, there's he's, also he was an le- anti-communist, right? Historic. And that was that was a big thing. There was a level of venality, though, that was even if it wasn't well, that was, criminal. That was clear at the time. But, you know, yeah. as that stuff starts sort of compounding and you get to the point where Barry Goldwater walks across town to tell the president to resign in the White House, is it's not so clear that this, this stuff is happening. But what is abundantly clear and is why you see that this has been long before the Internet, long before it's always just right. team sport, is that Richard Nixon was doing things that were not only not conservative, the things where he was reliably conservative, which was on Soviet issues, because he was, you know, Whitaker Chambers was, you know, standing right next to uh, Richard Nixon. You know, Richard Nixon was red baiting, you know, his his opponent in California, as we remember very well, uh, pink down to her underwear, as he said. All of a sudden, it's detente. All of a sudden, he's opening up to China to spite the Soviets, and everyone is like, this is crazy. Right. Like, would like? I mean, r- remember, you have a guy who is, you know, in, in in Kissinger, who even after Nixon resigns, tells Gerald Ford not to allow Alexander Solzhenitsyn to come to the White House because it might annoy the Soviets. The, the, I mean, conservatives hate the EPA, right? That was a Nixon creation, sort of, uh, f- f- sort of affirmative action. You know, sort of. it gets a big jump. Joan Hoff, the liberal historian, I think she's at like Montana State or something, um, wrote a book probably about 25 years ago 
about it's called like Nixon revisited or something like that. And it's a liberal case for, for, for Richard Nixon. Nader uh, spoke right. about him positively in the foreword of one of his books. Right. Yeah, no, okay, like, okay, 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 okay. Oh, get, get yeah, in, get in, get in there. This isn't ridiculous. Like, like the EPA was passed like three times by a Democratic Congress and he finally signed the last one. Like, didn't have to, like, didn't have to. I agree with all of those yeah. things. And like, totally like he was someone who wasn't terribly interested in it and was doing it. His main thing was that he was working on his foreign policy and also the fact that he, you know, didn't like black people and liberals <laughs> no. being upset about yeah. all or Jews, by the way. But yeah. I will Despite say. Despite Henry I, Kissinger and Herb He Stein, did like Sammy Davis but I, Jr. But I do agree. <laughs> Which is confusing because he didn't like blacks or Jews. Sammy but, loved Davis but if you combine them, yeah. boom. Yeah. Combine them. You know, then when I was born, Sammy Davis Jr. had one eye. And yes. he came to my hospital and he no. like held me and said, no. Don't worry. Yeah. No. no. Really? Yeah. Yeah, Sammy Davis Jr. was in a movie called um, uh, Moon Over Parador with my dad. Oh, yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the, he was in that? Yeah, he plays himself. Oh, because that's like the... <laughs> wow. But anyways, um, that... The, Hell that, of a that, you got tap dancer. You got one eye, babe. Did, what I, what <laughs> it's going to be fun. I do like agree with you that... <laughs> you so, have one. You know, you the, other, do know. You know the other two Sammy. Henry Blue game were Peter Falk, who also has one eye. He's a... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, one, one more thing. One question. But you know the other person was? Was Whoopi Goldberg, who doesn't have... Also one eye. Two she has two eyes. And she yes. came and said... But only one heart. I'm just yes. there. A one heart for... One child, me. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and very and sweet she's, lady. She hasn't talked to you since. Well, no, that's true. I haven't talked to her since. <laughs> but, but it was a very. She was trying to get a part. Obviously. But <laughs> I think, you know, like look, what you're generally saying here is that like the team sports thing being on the thing there is true, obviously. But I guess like what what we're all talking about with all of these things where people are you know proving how they don't have total belief in. You or know, any principles at in, all. In the principles... Yeah, exactly. Like, it, it's not their fault. Like, it's literally, like, obvious and human things. Like, it, the right does it, the left does it. And it's just a simple fact about this. And they're all going to keep doing it. We're all going to keep doing it. Shouldn't we transcend it, man? But how can we? <laughs> man. Except by subscribing to my pod... No, not podcast. <laughs> You really haven't gotten this pitch. Literally, there, literally, I haven't even made a URL for it. Substack, Substack ben, just Google it. Ben Dreyfus, two <laughs> S's. Substack, you know, look, just just fucking find it. Find it yourself. Is it two S's really? I always write it with one S. So here's one related thing. This is very, very related to the Facebook thing and to what we've been talking about. YouTube said today or yesterday that they were going to delete videos uploaded that contested the 2020 election. And said that there was massive fraud on, uh, you know, or uh, illegal voting or whatever. If you say that in a video, YouTube has said, we will take it off our platform. Now, I saw friends uh, who are not, you know, especially political, but I would say are Biden voters. And, you know, as probably 98% of my friends are, and it was a sort of celebratory thing amongst a few people who posted about this. A few people saying, oh, this is great. You know, we don't need this misinformation, disinformation, depending on how you want to classify it. But to me, I, I, you know, this is, again, the thing that turns people like Mike Lee is the Hunter Biden thing and, you know, banning New York Post from Twitter or stuff like this, because they believe in some sense that these are organizations controlled by liberals that want to control the, the you know, news you get, et cetera. And is that wrong? Well, no, it's not. 
The, the question, though, the problem with this that I have is that, as you said, Ben, you know, there is a moment when Mark Zuckerberg's like, I need to throw Mother Jones under the bus because I need to placate these conservatives. Because they're a big part of our business right. model and we are not really on their side. We're a company. We're a company, right? And we need we want 50% of the population to be on our platform. But all of us here in Silicon Valley, we don't we don't play that, but we have to pretend for a little bit. When you do something like this at YouTube, what is the version of pretending? Do you have to take videos down that say Stacey Abrams won her election? Do you have to take videos down? I mean, because because the election right now is history. In the real sense, it's it's a historical event right. now. It's a it's only a kind of a short throw back to it, but it's a historical event. At what point is there some fucking kid or some you know twenty five year old, thirty five year old in you know Menlo Park or wherever adjudicating what history is true and what isn't? Because in the really really brief period that this has happened, we all know. That this is nonsense, right? Right. But it is you, nonsense. We know that. But, but, but like, honestly, like, I agree with you totally and actually, like, sentiment here in the long term. But in the short term, I do want to sort of give these companies a little bit of leeway here. Like, they are trying to deal with something in the immediate term. Which but is what are they dealing actual, with? Actual, like, they're not going to be able to. Obviously, those same liberals who were so happy about this when they announced that yesterday were immediately then sad today when they realized that OAN, or whatever the fuck it's called, still was actually still running all these things saying, you know, that... Trump, yeah. Trump has a huge cock and everyone loves to suck it. Like, <laughs> I, I, like, it's yeah. just it, like, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I thought you were going to go with some fake news. <laughs> not some real facts like, to the piece. But like, <laughs> I, I definitely do agree with you that like, that's, you're actually like, to circle back to the thing about 230, right? Like, it, it's dangerous to make it where you're suddenly in charge of the things on your networks and that you're going to have to make decisions about this that are impossible for these companies to make. You know, it, it's just not, reasonable like people have a lot of this isn't even facts that they disagree with it's literally just opinions that like you know it it's not possible for these companies and there's an idea that these companies are so smart that they're just creating robots and that the robots are fucking the best robots but like they're just wrong like these are these are companies with people with human incentives as well and they're just not that great at fucking solving it but they've also been on the receiving end all the language is dirty now. Yeah, uh, oh, Jesus, yeah. these uh, robots. Of everybody, like, there's a will to censorship right now. Like, today we saw, just today, Senator Josh Hawley, who's one of the biggest assholes in, in, in Capitol Hill, uh, he was celebrating because uh, he had just received, you know, received word from MasterCard, I think it was, uh, that they are no longer um, servicing... Uh, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> transactions having to do with Pornhub or PornTube, one of the porns uh, out there. Like, oh, like it's a, it's it's a huge. Uh, I know both of them. Yeah, it's just like in <laughs> that's why he has two in his head, not just one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and like the, this this huge <laughs> thing. And uh, yeah. God damn it, Dreyfus, this bulbous, <laughs> this throbbing issue, <laughs> this throbbing porn. Something I don't know what it could be, and like imagine a conservative. I'm sorry that Buttman goes to Reno didn't show up on time. Listen to this we, podcast. We know we know the Buttman. True, Man. no, totally. The first porn I ever saw was Buttman goes to Rio. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was five. You were five. <laughs> yeah, okay. I found it in our guest house. Oh, oh, wow, it's thrown out of. Uh, well, it wasn't thrown out. Was, was that was that from preschool because of it? 
Wow. I shared it just in your friends. guest house. We got to get. We to- then sold that house to Kevin Costner, and I always like to think that he found the porn. Yes, of you course. Know? He did. And then he made the postman right after. And he was, he was like, like, Buttman went to Reno. Rio. <laughs> <laughs> Reno is. Buttman went to Reno. Yeah. That's, that's like, my caliber this of porn is a right short there. Drive. Yeah. Uh, I what don't know what I was going to say. Something about how, like, if you want, and Josh Holly wants, you know, a MasterCard or Visa or whoever the hell to, like, Crack down again um, on um, <laughs> on transactions having to do with the things that he doesn't like. Well, what's the next thing? The next thing is guns, you idiot. Of course, of course it's going to be the next. Did, did, didn't did, did you send the Steve Cole thing today? Uh, I did on that, MSNBC. That came you know, like yesterday. The, the um, head of the Columbia Graduate School of Journalism, who Which said that you know, the problem with. Uh, with the First Amendment, is that people are weaponizing it now? Yeah, yeah and it's yeah. like I don't really know what you mean what? by that. This is the, the head weaponizing. of the journalism school, and weaponizing the First Amendment, weaponizing free speech. It's like no, but that's not that's not how it works. I mean, free speech is a weapon, I suppose, if you want to see it that way. But you can't you can't add extra weight to it as being weaponized if you don't like the. Opinion. It's weaponized if I mean, someone who what? sticks up for it and argues for it has political opinions that you don't like or is yeah. using it to expand the space for them to express kind of a bad political to get back to much worse than kind of thoughts yeah. about Hanukkah. Yes, yes. thank you. I yes. will just say that like this it really is, comes this, full circle. This is a lot of like coddling of the American mind stuff, right? That happens on college campuses where people as safetyism and there's all this bullshit whatever he wasn't, this he wasn't kidding about this. About. But what I'm saying is is that honestly, you know what Christianity is? Uh-oh. The coddling of the Judeo-Christian mind. Let's just make it easier. You can't take a flood. <laughs> you can't take circumcision. Yeah. Oh, you can't take being asked to kill your kid. Yeah. Oh, well, you're going to need your safe space. <laughs> and it's called Christianity. I never thought about is this it, before. Is it? Anyways, you just something to think about. You're kind of walking me towards about. the tribe, but like I can't. Like, is it within my power do it? to fire you from Mother Jones? <laughs> Can I like deputize myself in some way? Uh, I am I am literally texting uh, Clara Barton or whoever it is right now. <laughs> Everybody's favorite Civil War nurse slash labor organizer. I actually have a question about that, and this right. is not intended to to pick scabs at all. Uh, but like your. Uh, kind of approach towards understanding that everyone uh, catastrophizes the opponent right. and all that kind of stuff. That's not something that I associate with anybody I can think of at Mother Jones. Not that I spend a lot of time thinking about everybody over there. Kevin Drum might be a person who comes the closest to right. maybe embodying that, who I know um, from California. I love Kevin. Uh, I love Kevin too. He, um, he's, he's frequently uh, hated by his own side, isn't he? But not, uh, all right. Not as much as Ben. Well, that's, that's obvious. <laughs> yeah. And also understandable, but yeah, uh, Kevin drum seems to always like get uh, the slings and arrows from people. Uh, he, he just operates in his own protected silo. And I think people kind of are. I will say that, that. I, I love Kevin and, I have learned so much from reading him over all these years. And I think that there's a, a miscommunication somewhat in the way that Mother Jones looks with like Kevin has a blog and everyone else essentially, you know, is from this mothership of it where there's editorial processes and stuff. And that can can make people who 
are not Kevin sort of look like, well, why isn't he edited in the same way? But it's he's got a, he's got a green wall. Yeah. 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 But, but I mean, I, I do think that like, I think that Kevin gets the wrong end of the stick a lot on the way that people. Again, language. Yeah. yeah. Kevin got in trouble because of, he said that he didn't like reading subtitles and then he was called a racist for not. I mean, he's watching uh, super wrong called, about he used it. To be called lazy. Yeah. <laughs> is it racist if the movie you're watching is Hungarian? I mean, I don't want to watch those subtitles. I mean, I, I don't like seeing those I also don't like watching subtitles. Like, you know, and like it's 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 because I have you know maybe it's because I have bad vision and we can play that little game. But it's also like <laughs> if I wanted to, oh, what are you going to tell us? One right, eye or something? Exactly. Like, yeah. like if we want to go hey, down this right, we can. <laughs> but like inherently, it's like I don't I don't want to do it. I don't want to read. I want to watch it. And the, the most bizarre thing about this now that I'll go on a little rant. Um, about about it is that it's it's actually like a beautiful thing about the world that people children in every country can go to the theater and see a movie in their own voice it makes it special it makes it magic but it also is not a thing that you would ever say to anyone that well you have an obligation and you are morally in like indigent if you don't go watch something in another language and put in extra effort to read it like, it, it, it just, it, it belies the entire experience of why movies ma- matter. If you said that, it, I, I don't know. I, I really, like, thought that was, that was... W- w- was it people, like, uh, you know, Twitter eggs? Or were there people who were, you know, ostensibly serious people calling him a racist for that? On tw- it became a thing on Twitter. I, I, I'm not going to get on, on the details of it. But, like, I, I'll, I'll, I'll defend Kevin that, like, I had read that post before there was a problem and I didn't recognize the problem, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I would imagine that um, despite all of your insanity, that you're a pretty savvy person. And when you don't recognize that it, it's not a real thing. Right. And also, like, <laughs> it's, it's not, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I see this all the time. Right. That I'm like, how are they going to get it to that place? And they always do. It's these bizarre things that I don't understand the criticisms uh, anymore. And it's of course, these kind of rote criticisms you know, it's funny. I, I, I saw a podcast just come up in my feed and somebody who's been on this podcast and listened to this podcast, uh, Ben Dominich, who uh, does a, a podcast with The Federalist, had Matt Iglesias on. Now, previously, um, speaking about people getting in trouble, um, previously we had talked about Matt Iglesias leaving, doing his own Substack and our conversations about this. And I had cautions, I was sort of cautioning myself and maybe the room too, that we don't know why he left. So we can't say that it was just like this overwhelming kind of crazy woke politics that, that, that overwhelmed Vox as it's overwhelmed so many other institutions. And uh, now we know that that is actually the case. <laughs> and to listen to him talk to Ben Dominich and do it very carefully, but talk about how the place that he started, much like Glenn Greenwald, you know, left The Intercept for this re- reason. And of course, Glenn doesn't have any problem um, just going, throwing thunderbolts at, at people. Um, this is a place that he started, much like Glenn starting The Intercept, along with Ezra Klein. And I don't know if this is true of Ezra Klein. It probably, probably isn't because he got a job at The New York Times. Um, but he said that he basically felt increasingly uncomfortable there because these small little things that he didn't quite get or understand um, were recast as these horribly kind of racist incidents or sexist or homophobic. I don't know which one it was. I think it was just racism. But he was trying to kind of talk around it. And now, those of us of a certain vintage, I know, Matt, you can attest to this, that 
there was a time in which like Matt Iglesias became a blogger. He was like, he was the liberal, right? It was like him as a client. Oh, yeah. to other people. He was like the lefty guy and he was like annoying and like he was Mr. Lefty. And it's like, oh my God, Mr. Lefty has been sort of run out of his own institution. And at what point when people say, well, there's no such thing as cancel culture or whatever it might be. And I don't like, you know, we've talked about this before. I don't like that term. I think it's like not an artful term. I think it's flabby. I think it is something used by dummies on the right that I don't particularly like. Um, and they use it for everything, right? Everything is cancel culture. But there is a real thing. And I talk to people about it all the time. People that I know that work in other publications, they say, oh man, it's getting crazy in here. And they send me internal communications sometimes. They tell me what's happened. There are people still at the New York Times that are probably, you know, on the run now because they're known to have been uh, Barry partisans. There's a few left, right? And they're- They speak in special code words when they in, talk to us. In, yeah, and you see it, right? Yeah. And they, they, it, it, we're in a bad place, of course, that where people don't feel comfortable um, talking. And when Matt Iglesias said that in his own publication, Vox, Matt, you can't both question those students were started like his that. liberal liberal credentials. The, in, in the Intercept and Vox both debuted in 2014. So imagine these self creations. You know, Greenwald was the biggest center of that. Iglesias was sort of like a number two to Klein, but they both created these things in 2014. Um, they didn't realize that the liberals that they were hiring were different than that. But here's the thing: I'll <laughs> say this: like, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big like Matt and Ezra and like fan. I, I was a big fan of Vox. I, I am a big fan of Vox. Like also Lauren just left, who was the EIC, which yeah. also speaks to not great things there. But yeah. I will say that like I, I do think it's important to differentiate between why Matt left and Glenn Greenwald left. Like Glenn Greenwald left because he wanted to be allowed to uh without editors just ramble bullshit. Like Matt Matt's leaving seems I I'm I'm convinced Glenn is a prickly character. We had him on right afterwards. He hadn't been edited and suddenly he was like it was the, it was a there was a record scratch in that in that transaction. I mean, is that true? I, 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 think I'm, Betsy, I'm, a, Betsy of- I am persuaded that that is more true than it's not. true. Well, I think it's also on- let's be clear about this, though, that it's, it, there was that. Um, and I don't know the internal workings there. And every time somebody talks about something that I do have like firsthand knowledge of, they're always wrong. They're always and wrong. So about I'm internal on workings, the other yes. side of that right. this time. And I want to make sure that, that to be clear that I'm probably wrong, too. But the one thing I do know is that he mentioned it to us is that the culture had changed in a way that people, and I've seen this in so many publications, I could have a list of 20 of them right now, where people who actually work at the publication currently are attacking somebody that also currently works at the publication on Twitter sure. in the most horrible ways. They, like Glenn pointed out, as a person that they had hired who was attacking, attacking Lee Fong uh, and, and calling him a racist. For the most bizarre reason, too, the most utterly bizarro that he interviewed somebody and posted it on, right? Uh, on, but like uh, amongst some other, uh, a bunch before, of other before that ben, is not why he left before like, like, before, it, it, before Ben goes ha- before Ben goes ham. Um, but no, uh, I think Iglesias was actually uh, interestingly uh, specific or careful and 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 uh, uh, and maybe right uh, in his characterization. With Connor Friedersdorf in right. that interview with Atlantic, which is that um, Connor asked him, like, was there something interior to the culture? Was it going in the wrong direction and whatever? And 
Matt said something to the effect of like, hey, it's a problem at liberal media organizations and that sort of sort of a, a, a generalizing here, but like of like you should be able to talk about stuff in an atmosphere of a lack of fear. And it's kind of the opposite right now. There's people are walking on eggshells and that's just not good for the spreading of ideas or just like, a that's comfort, right. Cause he mentioned, he zone. mentioned with uh, Ben, he mentioned specifically the looting conversation, which right. okay. he didn't want to talk about. People wouldn't talk about it. So it, it, regardless yeah. of Dreyfus's right. problems with Greenwald, which I thought they're not are legion, I do just think it is important to just acknowledge like he's not, the fact he's that he's not going to let it the, go. The, the Gila monster I do, on your I arm. I really do want to be clear. Like the intercept is filled with a lot of very, smart and wonderful reporters like ryan Grimm and betsy are these are very like good good editors and good people and i i also don't have any insider information about any of this but i do really want to make a distinction about why he left like and why matt left like i i don't think it's fair to say that like matt left because he wanted to you know, be able to they wouldn't have stopped Glenn Greenwald from writing about how he doesn't like Joe Biden, like what they were problems with, as you can read in those emails he released because he thought they were going to be good. And then they made him look like a fucking idiot were that he they were incredibly patient and nice with him while he was saying all this bullshit. But I do want to agree with you about I thought when Matt left that we would all, you know, guess. And then he had that interview with Connor. And sort of said exactly what we all sort of suspected. And it's a fascinating and also true sort of thing that even if you don't agree with is something to think about, about all of these publications. You know, you guys were talking just now about um, the New York Times there. If you read these two stories that happened to the New York Times, one of which is um, when Bari left, she writes about how people were mean to her with emojis. They bullied her with emojis. Okay. It was a callback to a Ben Smith column where people had said emojis when the editor and the editor of the opinion page had been fired because they had used the um, the the in France where guillotine, the guillotine. And then people had gone to HR and they'd been like and they had to talk about it. And so if you follow these two stories, there is a culture of emoji bullying going on at The New York Times. And that is ridiculous. And that's why Bari mentioned it. Like, it, it's just that you can you can politicize these in any way you want. If That guy was indeed fired by the left. So a guillotine made total sense. And then when Bari said some bullshit or whatever, and people said, you know, like a skull, I don't even remember what it was, that these are nonsense things that people say in environments. But here's here's the thing. There's a couple of things about this. Number one, to go to the to to the Barry thing is that we also understand Is that, that how you pronounce your name? Barry, yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, fuck. That's you're a bad Jew. I um, I did it a plenty of times to her face on this podcast. Yeah. Barry uh, with a hard A? Yeah, it's Barry. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Think of her as a, as an uh, old balding agent. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. really sorry. Yeah, Barry. Barry. <laughs> How do you say Weiss? Is it Weiss? Visa, Visa, Viasa. Yeah, Viasa. It's Swedish. Um, not. It's not uh, Jewish at all. Um, the thing about it is, you know that that if if somebody like Brett Stevens, you know, put is that something. How you that? Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> I, I don't know. I've never I thought it was Stephens. Stephens. Yeah. yeah. 
if someone had done a sort of violent, if speech is violent, for Christ's sake, and you do a violent looking emoji and it was towards the wrong employee, you know that that person would be would be wrapped over the knuckles or, or fired or something. I oh, think that, wrapped over the knuckles. Maybe you should be fired. That, that, that's <laughs> a violent thing to yeah. say. Yes, it is. Uh, so I think that like that was obviously, and, and I think that there's there's two things. So they're both they're both related with Barry and Glenn here. Is that that's not the extent of her complaints, and that's just like you know she's pointing that out, saying you know there's a double standard here. Right. I, I didn't um, mean to say that that was. Her yeah, yeah, of course. Point. But it's, that's not the reason that there was but a Barry and Glenn were don't think that you know they, the, the, they, <laughs> the, no there is there is a culture obviously. Of, you know, but well, no, of bullying somebody at work that would never be allowed if it was somebody else. The reason that it was allowed was because it was her and she had the wrong opinions. That is, I think she hasn't told me this. I think how, how she's in, but it's definitely how I see it. I mean, I've seen some of those internal emails. I've seen them from people who aren't her and they're pretty crazy openly on a Slack channel, at most organizations saying the things that were said about her would not be allowed. Totally, I mean, like, but somehow that was allowed. But and one final thing on the Glenn thing is that, you know, it is absolutely true that, that you know, whether or not Glenn wants to be edited or that was part of his initial agreements with The Intercept that he could write whatever the hell he wanted and then all of a sudden he's being edited, whether or not that's true. I don't know that to be true. It's what he's told us when he was on the podcast. But he did cite these examples that were very similar to what Matt was talking about, which was an internal kind of culture shift that the teachers are afraid of the pupils. So in the sense that like Betsy, or I don't know her and I've never met her. I don't know anything about her. Um, and some of these other people that they probably are very sensible people. And they probably think this stuff is nonsense. And they probably wish they could do something about it, but they can't because they're held hostage. And I've seen... I've had editors, one editor in particular of a, of a publication, who shall remain nameless because it was in confidence, told David me ab about <laughs> yeah, it, it is the dean it, of the Washington yeah, press. Yeah, it Corps. is Victor Navasti um, <laughs> who mumbled something to me, and I was like, "Are you still alive?" Um, he that told me that um, t gave me a scenario that had happened to him, and. He capitulated pretty quickly. I can't be specific about it because it'd probably be, be able to be identified and said, like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I have run this place for X number of years and I have a bunch of 24 year olds in here that are about to stage a walkout. Like, it's like the Woody Allen book thing. It's like the Jordan Peterson book thing. Like, we're a publishing company. and We can't actually have these ideas. This is crazy. We're going to walk out. They don't want the walkout. They're totally. trying to avoid it at all times. And then there are people who are rock ribbed in their convictions, like Glenn, like Barry, who are like, I can't take this shit because it's not just that one example. It's a whole series of them. And like, I know you wouldn't react this way if it happened to a different employee. Totally. I mean, I, I, I like, I don't know Barry, but I will say that like, I never doubted anything that she said in, in her going away. You just um, didn't think that it no, rose to the level. Oh, no, of, no, no. I, I knew that she was mentioning the emoji thing exactly the way that I meant, like, like as a callback to how stupid sort of the culture was there. Like, but like, I, I never doubted any of the stuff that she alleges in, in that thing about how they were all pranks to her because I saw it all on Twitter. You know, like I literally saw New York times employees do exactly that on Twitter. And they, obviously, which is, which is crazy. Totally. Actually. And like, as like, and I guess like you can get back to, you can get back to a lot of 
things that are just unprofessional behavior if you disagree with a colleague about how you and I, I don't want to pretend to be the most professional colleague in the world. I was going to say. But, like, I do think that, like, I, I you know, I've disagreed with a lot of my colleagues on a lot of things. And I would never say anything about them other than that they are actually ten times smarter than me. And sweeter than me. And all these things that are better than me. And I, I wouldn't say anything other than that privately, but I certainly wouldn't do it publicly. And I totally don't doubt anything that Barry... You're really going to keep enunciating that. Yeah. But I I also, like, don't know that, that, you know, that's, like, Glenn obviously, like, has no problem with creating a million zillion little fires and shit. Yes, yes. But I also will just say that I agree with you on the, on, on, on the actual, like, main point of, like, and, and Matt's point. And I think that, like, you have to, Glon's point is that, uh, Glon Glonwald, is (laughs) that, like, he... He also <laughs> is talking about like a fact that there is is increasingly in all of these publications the fact that the readers are increasingly demanding an expected opinion of the brand, and so it's harder to have one person who disagrees with it. Do you think actually, um, pursuant to the previous conversation about the demand side, do you think it's reader driven or do you think it's uh, newsroom driven? I I know that I know that I have been lucky to be at a place where there has been a bosses who have not allowed it to actually like i disagree obviously with mother jones from a million things and have never been asked to change my opinion about anything you know like i i think fracking is good i i think that there's you know a zillion different things that are i've been defending conservatives this whole hour like, but, but, but what if you step but this is a honest a, like a serious question though but what if you stepped into a controversial thing that had to do with identity i think there's a special different category for that if it has to do with race, if it has to do with gender, has to do with you know transgenderism, has to do with sexuality. Like Hawaiians maybe not smart I enough mean, to know about Hawaiians ice. aren't really that protected. I will say, I will say <laughs> this: like what I do think is is that I am lucky enough to work at a place where my bosses would take the time to see my intent. So far, that's and, good. And that, like, if I am if I misworded it, which I do all the time, I misworded a thousand things. Then honestly, like uh, I, 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 maybe I will have said something wrong, but they also will judge it on the intent and not give it into crowds mad about the interpretation. That's great, and that's the. But what if you were C. Thomas Howell's kid? <laughs> well, definitely not. Out no. on a rail. Red buttons is kids yeah. Red buttons is kid. Yeah, you know, gang banged down by a street <laughs> by a fat burger, and they're just begging for help. Like it's it's yeah. not. Uh, Your memoir, Gangbang by a Fat Burger, is yeah. really yeah. so good. I mean, One of the reasons why I hate um, Woodward is because he, <laughs> he read always all, comes up. He wrote all these terrible things about my mom, and in, in the book, he writes about how on their first date, my mom and, and um, uh, what's his name, John, Blue, Dead John guy. Ritchie, yeah. he took her to a Fat Burger and and threw he went and bought all these hamburgers and threw them at stray dogs. In the in the parking lot, and my mom was like, "Are we going to go somewhere interesting?" And he was like, "Yeah, look, I love to do this thing. I'm going to throw these at straight dogs." And then, what the fuck accent was that? That was John Belushi. It was pretty accent. good, actually. Was it really good? Yeah, yeah that's good. All right, go on. Maybe yeah. a bit Jim Belushi, but it was good. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I will say that, like, I agree with all the indictments of uh, Bob Woodward, Bob Woodward, and 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 the media at the moment, where like. Everyone is a little afraid and walking on edge with it. I will say that, like, I 
was lucky enough and am lucky enough to work at a place mm. where That's I was in Nakio, like safe from that. But I will also say this, that like earlier we were talking about how newsrooms are influenced by readers, you know, and, you know, traffic and blah, 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 blah. And the fact is, all of us have worked in newsrooms and know that the business side doesn't walk in and say, you know, you support Elizabeth Warren. You know, like, they, that's not what happens. What really, like, goes on is that people actually have their own reasons for these things. They have their own personal, like, you know, social groups. They have their own beliefs. Everyone, they have their own epistemic closure. They, they all spend time on Twitter and believe one thing and don't realize it. But they definitely, it's not as, like, uh, malevolent as I think that people outside of journalism sometimes think, which is that someone is coming in and saying, you know, I, I, am, I am an investor in the New York Times, and they are coming in to tell Maggie Haberman, you need to do this. Yeah, Carlos Slim. Is yeah, that right. doesn't happen. But, yeah. but at the same time, I do worry that, you know, liberal journalism, liberal magazines, liberal websites, are in a tough spot right now. And I wonder what will happen to them in the long run because, you know, Matt questions you on this. And I think that I probably agree with him on this is that I don't believe this is a response to readers. I think this is a response right. to internal pressures and the pressures of hiring. I think it's directly associated with the fact that journalism doesn't make a lot of money anymore. So you hire younger and younger people to do more and more work and those are people that come directly out of universities and they are really a different crowd of people from the ones that came out of universities when I was younger. I mean, it's not that their politics are different. It's just the way that they deal with kind of dissenting opinions is different. And just it's like so, Christianity. Yeah, well, yes, it's kind of different. It's kind of weird on this first day of Hanukkah. It is weird <laughs> that, that uh, to have people say that, you know, we can't publish that person. We can't, I mean, why? What, what is the fear? Is the fear that people be infected with ideas and then believe them? Do you have that, like the entire conversation about media right now, whether it's YouTube taking down videos, whether it's Facebook's power, whether it's you can have somebody on your editorial page or you can't have them on, it gives absolutely zero credit to the reader right. or to the viewer. It's Today, like if they hear this stuff, they see it, they're going to be, Transfixed it's the most by patronizing it. thing in the it's world. It's the most patronizing thing in the world. But again, that goes to the like, um, like the kind of top-down critique. Like we are in where we are now because of the evils of Rupert Murdoch or Fox News or fill in the blank boogeyman. They and this has been uh, consistent since the War of the Worlds uh, broadcast. Right that that influenced an entire generation of academics and media critics that the nation are sheep. And they are gullible to someone who can spin the airwaves in, in a certain way, and it's going to influence their behavior. Now, granted, reality TV show guy became president, and yeah. he's, I mean, but also, he's like, telling there, a bunch of people a bunch of crazy shit true, they believe. Right? Like I, I, I spent, I became, I only am as successful in this in this business that I am because of a specific tactic of like I, I had a talent for Facebook. I knew how to change headlines and art. To identify with people but, who would want to read stories that don't personally affect them, but that's actual it talent to their ben. identity. But but like it's it's also evil. Like like is it? Yeah, like it is. Like I, I used to tell, I used to when I used to like give talk to journalism students, I would describe this as a virtue because it was that what I was doing was broadening the audience beyond people who were interested in reading news to the sixty percent of Americans who don't think they are news consumers. 
Like it's better to make everyone read more and they'll learn more about politics and we have a better, you know, hey, yeah, we have a better fucking educated <laughs> politics. Everybody comes like, what are you talking? Right, yeah. What is the news, Ben? <laughs> I can't believe it. It's so what? crazy. Yeah, 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 They're yeah, yeah. stealing the elections from all the people in Florida. <laughs> but like in reality, like it's true that that what I what I was doing was not nice. It, it was actually like tricking people who wanted to see photos of their children in, into being upset about something in another state far away because it spoke to their identity. And that when you are upset about things that could happen anywhere, or you are happy about things that come anywhere, and you think about all of this in an identity way, you then are more often betrayed. And, you, and if you are betrayed, you are heartbroken when someone disagrees with you about anything. And you think of people in a catastrophized evil versus good. And then you stop being friends with people who are Republicans or you stop dating people who are Democrats. So it's not that everyone goes crazy. It's not. And I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's not that um, you were just being a skillful persuader. You feel like you were adding to like you were persuading people by convincing them of black and white evil versus good stories that aren't necessarily accurate I, I was well it was accurate i mean i i i never i i i'm not i've never lied about anything but but like there's ways but i want to tease that out like, what, like what is the thing story. that's evil that let's you say did? there's a story that says like you know people in some bullshit state let's say it's washington washington state <laughs> keep in mind like ben spent most of his like childhood in some bullshit idaho. state like idaho, idaho. or let's south say, dakota or something idaho. let's say like idaho is some bullshit state and let's <laughs> say that you idaho passes some Let's say they raise the minimum wage, okay? Idaho passes the minimum wage. Okay, it's happened all the time. One way of telling that story online is Idaho has passed the minimum wage. You know, great. If you don't live in Idaho, you don't give a fuck about that. It has nothing to do with you. But if you make that headline, one state just did something that liberals have been asking for for years. One red state that did something that liberals have been asking for years. It's not talking about, you're burying the actual substance, people who actually benefit by this. And what you're doing is you're speaking to the fact that liberals in other states, where all your readers actually live, that those people are being told they're right. And that's how, you know, the greatest, one of the smartest things that I did in 2014 or 2015 was to create this thing where Mother Jones would cover every single um, court victory about gay marriage. And every time there was all these series of courts saying, you know, Wisconsin, gay marriage, good. If you don't live in Wisconsin, you don't really care about that. But if you live in California or you live in New York and you see it, the reason you share that story is because you don't actually live there. But what you want to tell people is I'm a person who just shared a story about this. But and, also those things stack up eventually and go to the Supreme Court and have influence. Well, of course, but they matter. But, but, but like what they do is they actually create an incentive with the platforms that they abet. That like it makes it more likely that they'll read a story about how the EPA is actually corrupt. Like like if you if you if you if you make them. It should be disbanded. I agree. If ben, you that's share great. that if you share that story that Wisconsin that I just described, you are 10 times more likely to see the next story that I publish. And like all of the platforms create this, they understand that. And so do publishers, they learned it. You know, I was one of the first people that learned it, which is how I became some schmuck who was doing Twitter to more than that. But like that, that, that's what happened here with all of these companies. And what it did was that the right and the left both did it. 
And it then just made all of us going further and further and further into this war where you suddenly literally think you are in a war where what you share is going to change it. Like every share that you do is a bullet that you're firing in this partisan fight that's going to mean something. But in reality, your social media content that any of us are doing are entertainment for your friends. They're just things to consume. No one, they're not actually affecting anything. And it, it, it breaks everyone's brains. It makes us all go crazy. It makes us think that because if you're on a front line in World War One in a fucking, you know, you're actually the person who matters, you better not go to sleep. You better stay up and fire a bullet. And you better make sure that the Germans don't cross that line. And that's what people who are fucking tweeting because they watch MSNBC or Fox think that they're doing. They're actually playing a role in it and they're not. Mm. And no, yeah, that. yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's right. I mean, I mean, remember the rise and fall. The early version of that was upworthy. Um, who, you know, had a formula for, for how they would pull people in. And it was very successful. And then there was some... For 18 months. Yeah, it was some tinkering with... I mean, it was, those were... That was the Dan Bongo Bongo right. of the, <laughs> back in the day. It was like all the top five stories were... Well, the way know, that they did that was like... They, the way that they were killed was that it's a very specific change that was the time on page. Like, if you clicked on an upwardly link that was like... One baseball player who loves to fuck. You know, whatever. Like, no. and then you click on it and it would no, be like, don't they all? Mike it's Piazza. John Kruk. It would be like Mike Piazza. And then they'd say, oh, it's Mike Piazza. And they'd click away. So it would be like three seconds. The average time on page in the internet is something like three seconds. But like, if you look at Chartbeat, like, uh, people are proud of the fact that there's nine seconds on a page. But that just means that you're not misleading. Like, Facebook's algorithm to fix that, to destroy Upworthy, was just to make it so that you, that they downgraded things where people, we're on the page for less than like three seconds. It literally was like about misleading clickbait. It, it, it's funny too, is that what got us into this conversation was the fact that everybody believes, you know, the news consumer to be a moron who will be convinced by anything they see, right? And then I saw a version of this today that was the opposite of that. I mean, we see this projection onto, you know, the nameless, faceless masses. So for instance, today I saw two stories. One was an NPR story. The other was a Washington Post story. And there was a few in between. And I sent them all to Camille, obviously. And unfortunately, he had to be a father tonight. And I would love to have got him on this because I'm sure it would make him fume. But it was about uh, the vaccine and about how we can get people to take the vaccine. But naturally, because it's 2020, we narrowed it down to how do you get black Americans to take the vaccine? Because they're less likely to take the vaccine. If you look at the numbers on this, they are according to one poll, but what they leave out of it is that white Americans are also not very likely to take the vaccine. So it was like 50% said they would and 40% said they would, something like that. Um, kind of within the big margin of error, but what they do is the opposite. In both of these stories, the opposite of every person knows nothing to every person knows everything. And that every person knows everything here was a way of pushing and well, talking about something they wanted to talk about was it is because of Tuskegee and because of the history of, you know, in the 20th century, I'm like, I don't even really know if people know about this, to be honest. You know about it. I know about it. People go to college know about it. But like, if you go to like a neighborhood that is predominantly black and they say like, you know, do you want to take this vaccine? Like, no, nah, I don't need that. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm healthy. I'm young, whatever. Or there's a vaccine skepticism that's just a generic vaccine skepticism because you know what? Black people can have these ideas too. They can have the exact same ideas as white people about vaccines that are wrong and that are a bit cuckoo. And they're like, well, they talked to one person. I think it was the NPR one. 
And the one person they talked to on the street was not, said nothing about Tuskegee, right? They said, well, we don't know. It's actually not a bad point. It's like, we don't know what's going to happen in the long term. We know short term people get like, you know, some anaphylactic shock or whatever. They did, they saw something. But, you know, we don't know in the long term. But yeah, okay, that's a fairly reasonable uh, position. But, you know, maybe it's good to just take it anyway kind of thing. But this thing that we now put views upon people that we want them to believe, rather than the ones that we think that they're going to believe if they read a bad story. So every single place, you have people in the media tinkering, whether they think people are too dumb or think they're overly educated about things and, and, and think the same thing as them. And also do that in the midst of a process. I mean, the vaccines have been approved in England and Canada, and today the board of the FDA the voted like 17 to yes. 4 for the Pfizer thing. So we're belatedly joining that that uh, race. But like, um, <laughs> damn it. Uh, but like, we don't know yet. Like, uh, I, I think they're probably going to be great. Um, yeah. And yeah, it turns out the Russian one that they fucking approved. Like, do you remember the Russian one? Yeah, that's right. good. Yeah. Apparently, that one's pro. It so, works. like, they had to do those oh. articles that you were looking at, Michael, before any of that happened, right? Yeah. Those interviews happened before. So, like, what? You're but not that, going yeah, to accept the vaccine. That's the type that of story that you're around yet? a table in a pitch meeting saying, I bet that they're not interested in this. Uh, that the forty percent versus fifty percent is because of Tuskegee. But I guess of, what I would say is like really, I don't, I don't think that, know. Like Michael, you were saying like I don't think that when people make those changes that like I was talking about with those headlines, they're actually doing it to, to you know, in, in some sort of like way that where they're trying to change the way people vote or whatever. Yeah, I don't what think that's it like, like the incentive is to make chart beat go up. You know? Yeah, like yeah, the yeah, incentive yeah. is is personal. Yeah. I, I, I and like I well I have seen examples of people refusing stories that would be traffic winners because they didn't like the kind of political direction of the story. Sure, that happens like, too. But I think you're right in the sense that there's not some mustache twisting grand plan that we right. have to get this guy into office. So therefore, we're not going to report anything up until maybe the Biden stuff. Right. Because or the Biden thing I saw today, the Daily Beast had the fucking funniest thing in the world. They did a piece about it, and it was like triple byline piece. And it was uh, uh, about the, you know, the investigation to taxes and the rest of it. And there was a line in it about somebody pointed this out, like three paragraphs. And it was like, you know, this kind of investigation that was that previously went unnoticed. And it's like, well, not really. I mean, you guys kind of didn't want to notice it at the time. But I mean, also like, so, like Biden is a wonderful example for all of this epistemic closure, right? Like when you invited me on that um, when Matt, you invited me on that show cruise. to talk about Sirius XM. Yeah. yeah. I was looking for, like, I wanted to find, this is early, anyone. early in the Democratic <laughs> primary. No, seriously. Anyone would be pro-Biden. No, he was like, like, I will take a dead piece of meat sort of like quivering right. on the sidewalk who is pro-Biden. Because if you looked through the commentariat who is sort of Democratic or left-leaning, nobody liked Biden. No. Back right. a year ago or yes. whatever and it was. Like my argument that I made on that show was that. Biden was the Facebook candidate, you know, like that, like people on Facebook who are not talked about on the Internet and that no one notices like those those headline jokes that I was talking about, those changes. The reason why you can get away with that is because the colleagues that you're there, that people are trying to impress, don't pay attention to Facebook. You wouldn't want to tweet that headline. People would be like, oh, wow, you're fucking doing fucking 
curiosity gap now. What a sellout you are. But if you do it on Facebook, no one's even going to know. The reporter itself isn't going to know. Just change it. They won't even give a fuck. They won't even see it. Because Facebook is a place where they think only old people are on. But Facebook is also where most of Americans are on. And, like, the reason why Biden won was because accurately, like, that stands up, I think. Like, no one on Twitter, uh, Twitter literally thought until Super Tuesday that Biden was, you know, going to get shot in his brain and, you know, be buried in a fucking ditch out by JFK. And, like, it was just the fact that, like, in (laughs) Jimmy exactly it. (laughs) Like, it was just then, like, then they were like, you know, it was the it, it was the living version of the white man blinking gif. Of like, he yeah, won. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's just that like, that was just that like, Facebook is actually a much larger group of people. And it's also why it matters more. It's, you know, Twitter is vaudeville and Facebook was, you know, Broadway. You, 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 you can do it. And if no one, no one out of your colleagues and none of your people at other companies that you're worried about are, are paying any attention to Facebook, then you can do the most clicky bullshit headlines that you want. You're not going to be judged by it. No, no media critic is going to go after you because of what you do on Facebook. Literally, they, they will they, right, go exactly. after you. They don't know hard how. on Twitter. Hard on Twitter. Exactly. Yeah. You'll get yelled at for saying that people in Hawaii 300 years ago don't know about fucking ice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, it's probably true. Um, not a huge ice culture 300 years ago. Probably not even now, actually. <laughs> you know, yeah, mistake was saying Hawaii instead of the Caribbean islands where there's no fucking mountains. Yeah. You didn't. Please. Did, did you? You did. Yeah. Well, the Caribbean islands are where, are, are where there's no ice. I know, but did you? You didn't say that Hawaii was part of the. Caribbean. No, no, I'm saying okay. it would have been better okay. to choose the whole okay. Caribbean because um, there's no fucking mountains with snow. But just keep in mind that I thought that was possible. <laughs> but it, it, Jesus, um, <laughs> this is such, this is also what people say about Trump. They're like, well, I thought he would do. I thought he would shoot people in their brains and do a coup with the, with the military. Well, I thought it was possible, so it must it must be right. <laughs> Doesn't it say something bad about the courts that I thought yeah, they th- would? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seems plausible, so therefore, uh, Gorsuch. Just that I could have worried. Yeah, it means. <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite argument. I mean, the fact that it seemed like it was possible. Greenwald means... literally just said that though about about Bernie. He was like, "Well, the fact that I could even expect that Bernie might be okay with this nomination." Oh, uh, about which uh, um, about n- n- Tandon? Oh, yeah, yeah. And he yeah. was like, "Well, if even." There, 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 I, I don't, I mean, it's, I'm not. Should we a, talk about Tandon? Well, I'm not Ooh, a close no. follower of that. Of, of say, but I know that, that uh, there's nobody that he Wait, hates more. Does anyone have any crackers? Yeah. Let's, let's, uh... I don't think Nancy's the right audience. For that. Um, but on the Facebook thing, it, it is true that like 40 odd percent of people get their news from Facebook in the U.S. And um, it, it, it's, you were, were so far from the most basic argument about this. It used to be the argument, we hear it all the time 10 years ago. And now like, you know, when I was the Bannon thing, where he's like, we have to break up Facebook. We have to break up Twitter. We had their public utilities. He said that to me, like verbatim, their public utilities. And it used to be an actual argument, which is still remains true, but it'd be one that people would say that you don't have to be on Facebook, right? There's no, it's not like, you know, well, you know, I have to interact with the water company because it's the it's it's the county it's and there's no other private one that I can deal with. Actually, the, the thing that brings water to my faucet. Yeah, and it's the only one. <laughs> it's not like there's three lines and I pick that one. There's no. I mean, it's like it's run by like those things. I get like because the last time 
the government broke up a company was Ma Bell, right? In 84? Well, and that was because there really wasn't a Microsoft. lot of options at that point, right? I mean, what is the comparison? What is the similarity between the fucking Bell system of telephones and a fucking thing where you can share pictures of your dumb kids or your dumb grandkids and you really don't have to be there. You can do something else. I mean, like, well, Instagram's up by them. Like, you don't fucking need that either. What is the sense that you have to be on the internet all the time and you have to be sharing these things? And if they're using your data, the government has to intervene and shut the whole thing down, break it up into parts. It's like, you know what? Honestly, just walk away from it. That is the easiest thing to do, but it's very hard for people. And for some reason, that's not an argument that is, that is uh, you know, you're not allowed to make that anymore. It's not a very um, cool argument to make to say, like, you don't need it. Just walk away. But, like, if you're going to make the point that, like, things are infrastructural the way that Ma Bell was, Google is the answer, right? Like, well, Google is different. Yeah. Right. And, like, I'm not saying that Google should be broken up either. Like, I don't believe that any of these companies should be broken up. But, like... Yeah. I like Google is the one that is truly an infrastructural part of the web, right? Where like someone will do a search and find it. No one's using fucking Bing, but it's literally true that, you know, you don't need to be on Facebook and the solution of breaking it up by sending WhatsApp, a texting competitor and an Instagram, something that is about liking photos and stuff that are not going to solve anyone's problems with the fact that the, the main version of Facebook, which everyone in America, except 11 people, follow every day and are are seeing news i mean i mean literally like there's two things there's two graphs in the world that tell you a lot about the trump era one of which is the new york times stock price when donald trump won right it goes up like like 30 points or something the other one is just like the way people talk about facebook facebook was one of the most popular companies in america until people blamed it for trump winning and like then they demanded these changes, and then Facebook, in this idiotic fear, because the dumb, what Facebook is the worst at is handling any outrage, is that they then like made changes that made everything worse, and they like ended up, you know, in behind a fat burger throwing things <laughs> at, at fucking dogs. But like, it it, it just it, it it it's it's not speaking. And honestly, like one of the things that I hope most about Biden becoming president. <laughs> is that suddenly people will stop taking out their anger on the fact that they can't, they, on, on January 21st, 2017, people kept thinking that if they were just tweeting enough mean things about Trump, that he would get out of office. And then they realized it wouldn't. And so suddenly they decided to take that anger out on Maggie Haberman and Facebook and the New York Times and bullshit because they felt those were institutions that would respond. And once he's gone... They are not going to give a shit about it anymore, and they'll have to go back to their other parts of their lives and the other reasons why they're unhappy, which is their own erectile dysfunction, their own fucking problems in their life, the reason why their children aren't coming back, like all these other things. And it just—I love how it's like every. That's like your life. You're just explaining. Right? My children have yeah, never yeah, come yeah. back. No, no, I can't like fuck my wife yeah, anymore. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> yeah, you have erectile dysfunction, and your father doesn't want to talk to you. Look, the f- um, but no, but the, the, it is it it is like that was the that is the absolute core of the whole thing is that after the election in 2016, I remember this so clearly. I remember where I was. I was at a. T- I just come back. I was at John McCain's. Headquarters on election night in Arizona. The Biltmore? Uh, no, it was at uh, like a, a rec center or something. Uh, it was not a very nice place. Um, but there were a lot of Vietnamese people there. 
uh, by the way, full of Vietnamese people who are big John McCain supporters, obviously. But I went back, I uh, came back to New York, and we're talking to people about this, and I saw the desperation, and I think we might have even talked about the time, I don't even remember what we talked about four years ago when this happened, but the desperation on the faces of all these people who said this can't be true. Like, what is the explanation for this? And what people tend to forget and overlook was that the idea of fake news was kind of a Hillary Clinton invention. Yeah. Because after the, the election, it was like they won because they were spouting off all this fake news. And it was a fake news campaign against me that essentially put Donald Trump in the White House. It was the New York Times covering the James Comey story. It was Comey himself. It was everything but the fact that there were people who don't read the New York Times, had no idea about the emails, didn't even watch Fox News, and were voting for Trump in very, very large, by very, very large margins. And it was such a nice, cozy thing to never have to confront that and to just say it was Facebook. It was this. Right. It was that. Rather than, and you know what? It's right. happening again. Because uh, the second that it, it's, it was apparent that this was, uh, you know, a one for 48, uh, you know, court victories here, that this was going away. It was being certified and, and the coup was not happening. Listen to NPR. NPR is a pretty good weather band in this. There's basically no mention of Trump. It's gone away almost immediately. When he says something totally outrageous, when, you know, supporters do something crazy, you know, cracking, sweating, hair dye, that'll come up, right? But today I listen to All Things Considered and, you know, Morning Vision, whatever. It drives me crazy every time. Basically, no mention of Trump. And I think that they're going to make this mistake again. They're going to say, okay, well, that's done with. Those people have disappeared. The people who voted for Donald Trump. We won this election. 75 million. That's not why that's happening, right? No, no, it's not. That's not why it's happening. But it's the thing that made me think that it's going to happen again. And I think that it is going to happen again because no one ever got their head around it the first time. I was equally as guilty. And I think I was on Bill Maher's show and being like, I can't believe these fucking morons are voting for this moron, you know, and they're bad idiots and the rest of it. And the, the more I went on the road and talked to these people and was like, became the kind of guy that was like the Trump whisperer talking to his supporters, you're like, oh, I get why Steve Bannon, his, you know, his fake populism, his half Bernie Sanders, half Mussolini kind of idea of ideology actually works. Because these are the people that had, you know, they're Republicans. They're going to vote for Republicans. They think Hillary Clinton's a crook. They just know that kind of instinctively. They know liberals are, you know, bad because they, you know, want to marry dogs or whatever. They have all these crazy ideas. Um, but the rest of Washington misunderstood that Republicans agreed with free market economics and like free trade and were the things that was very easily parceled out. Republicans are this way. Democrats are this way. And guess what? It turns out that most Republican voters are Democrats when it comes to economics. Most of them are. Right. But I guess very rarely do you find somebody who's like, I love Milton Friedman and I think we need like less government interference. Well, they'll say that about their own companies and their own lives, but not. I mean, I think I probably told this story on the show before, but like I had a I, I was in a mental institution in October of 2016. And Seems about right. after a nervous breakdown <laughs> in September of that. And so I like came out of it like three days before Trump won. But when <laughs> I this is like a script that you've pitched. Like, so I come out of a mental institution right. and Trump wins. No, but so I was in I was uh 
I was in a suicide ward in in Beth Israel in the end of September, and I was held against my will, you know, as you are. And yeah. I'm well. That's the only place sitting right? sitting there. Well, yeah. the suicide ward is the only place they can actually do that. Right? <laughs> well, they can't. They can't. They can't institutionalize you. Oh right, without you. Well, I had yeah. gone. Yeah. So so I I I had. I have too much experience with all of these yeah. things. And I was like, so it's 72 hours because I know about these things from California. And they were like, no, you came in through the ER. You're here for 11 days. But anyways, so I. I Why uh, 11 days? I guess that's how, how it works. But I'm so, I'm so I'm in Beth Israel with people from Rikers. And, and you know, it's not a nice place. Yeah. One of the things that they do there is that they try to keep you entertained. And so they have a um a, a group that these, these like medical students would come and, and run this group to sort of study you and they they would be about like studying news which you probably shouldn't do in the run-up to an election but there would be like six of us in this thing and they would be like here's the local paper from whatever the lower east side is and look through it out and we'll talk about it and then it came to this one guy who was sitting next to me who was hispanic and who was you know as sane as they come in this sort of situation and we had been talking and he was like my buddy and i was like yeah you know we can speak words together. And he was like, yeah, you know, I'll talk about the election. I think that um, Donald Trump is a racist. And I think that what he's doing with guns, he wants to put guns back on the street. And, and six of my friends have been killed with guns and stuff. And I was like, like, we agree. I, I, I'm about to try to sell him a subscription. Like, <laughs> and then he says, but also, I mean, I'm obviously going to vote for him because he is a good businessman or he'll fix the economy, he'll fix the jobs. And then it comes to me and I was like, you know, I think I, I don't, I don't want to talk. About, I, I want to get out of here. <laughs> like, and I, I thought of that story for the next six weeks as like, wow, I was in a mental institution. This is a story about how crazy information cycles are. And then when I was at Javits the night that, that Trump won, I realized like, what a dumb fuck I am. That like, if a, the, Hispanic suicide man from New York <laughs> locked in Beth Israel with me. Even he thinks that Trump is a good businessman who can fix the jobs. What the fuck are these idiot, like, lily white, white fuckwads in Iowa gonna think? Like, of course that I was suffering from my own epistemic closure and that I was suffering from, you know, just reading Twitter and thinking, and I'll... Uh, I regret so much the way that I interpreted that when it first happened. And I, if I knew that that guy's name, I would contact him. And I just, I think that like the only way that you can prepare yourself for politics online is to be in a mental institution. <laughs> but like, it did teach me, it did teach me that like, I should have noticed it as a harbinger of what was going to, going to come. Yeah. I mean, I regret it too. I mean, I, I, I haven't gone back to watch that moment that I might have even invented, but I think it exists of, you know, denouncing people who would vote for Donald Trump. And, you know, just the sheer numbers have to, you have to understand that you're wrong about like, they, they're not all sort of racist psychopaths. I mean, 75 million is a lot, right? And the more I, you know, in the increasing number of people that I spoke to who were not white either, um, as is shown by, you know, some of the data that's come out of this election of, you know, increasing amount of support amongst Hispanics and, 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 you know, black, particularly black men. And when I was in Florida uh, in October, I guess, 
And we were talking to Cubans, and of course the Cubans are Cuban Americans. Or there was a, there was a long kind of idea that there was a generational shift happening amongst Cubans, and that is not entirely true. <laughs> there's some truth to it, but there's like I mean, everywhere we went, we were some Biden people, these Cubanos con Biden people, and they had their signs, and there'd be people who are 25 years old driving by in like pretty nice cars. I always say, and they would drive by, roll down the window. And they were always a bit off. They would never get the shout right, so it would hit you in the face. It would be like about 500 feet further. So they'd go by, they go, Comunista! And it'd be like, Comunista? Like, like, oh, you're a communist because you support Joe Biden. Interesting. <laughs> um, but you talk, talking to all of these people, and I just want one of those realizations that the domestic politics of Latin America is the domestic politics of the United States, is that it wasn't Cubans. It was Venezuelans. It was Nicaraguans. It was anywhere that had a, had a leftist government that you could be convinced that not Biden was not somebody who was going to create a similar government, but was going to have somebody like AOC in the government. It was like it was his proximity to those people. It wasn't him. It was like, no, no, he's we don't believe he's communista. We believe that like there's a proximity and they would make these like long and like rather informed arguments. People can make, I think, arguments that are are, are ultimately wrong, but fairly informed. And they come from cultures that, that this is the thing about the insularity of American politics. You see somebody like Sean Hannity, right? And they say, oh my God, can we have this? We have to like, you sent me a tweet the other day. Uh, what was it? Uh, was it, uh, Rosen? Kurt Anderson. Oh, Kurt Anderson. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Editor of yeah. Spy Magazine Spy, saying yeah. that like, um, Hey, considering Fox News's role in all of this, maybe we should think about like I mean, sedition, shouting fire in a crowded theater. Didn't whatever. Fox like call Arizona first and, yeah. and actually save all? Of yeah, us and, and, and also the first person I remember on on television taking it seriously was actually Tucker Carlson. Weirdly enough, and John Roberts. A, a, yeah, but also right? yeah, is that his name? Yeah, the one who yeah. was yeah. like on not, MTV not, and not the, the hair is too yeah. perfect. But but these, it's not strange to people like that. I sometimes when you appear see, on Fox News and it's okay to follow me, Ben Dreyfus on. <laughs> dot sub sub <laughs> subballs.org um but but you any any of these countries like there's like the sean hannity's of the world are not unique to america in a world where we actually do have power to influence these companies you can influence the way that they accentuate and profit by this behavior like yeah and these pro these these companies know about this like, it's why Instagram no longer shows likes when you first look at it, because they're not trying to gamify it in the way that they did the first time. You know, it, the, that might not be a successful thing. It might be stupid. But, it but it's also a response to criticism and not a business strategy, right? Right, totally. But it's also, like, an awareness of it. And I don't think that, like, it's a... I think, like, there is a level where all of this criticism gets totally deranged and mentally dispossessed, where they want to, you know, these people are monsters and they're Bond villains and stuff. But if it's literally just like, actually, these companies are not making people happier in America. Like, that's the whole point of Western society. I, I, I don't I don't want to speak a lot about Eastern society because I don't know a lot about it. Maybe it's, I assume it's probably true there, too. But Western society, like the whole point of this is where people are supposed to be happier by our comforts and our new televisions and our fucking ice freezers and all this bullshit. And these companies are by every metric making us less happy they're making you 
have headaches sure. and fat and diabetes and sad <laughs> and pulling your hair out and you can't get it up anymore and you're crying and not talking to your or children Or at least anymore. we're blaming them for that. Yeah. Right. But they're also saying, or at least they're admitting those things more, you know? And I just think that, like, in a world where that is true, it's reasonable to talk about how we can ask these companies to change product things to make it so that we all are stop being so... But isn't there... Invested. I think you're right about this, and it's like, I, I blame my diabetes on MySpace, which I yeah. think is probably what gave it to me. But isn't there... Like, it's 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 worth having a conversation about this stuff and kind of interceding and saying we should do something about it. When it comes to... I think Instagram is probably the better example of this. And, you know, likes and, you know, influencer culture and what how it makes young girls feel, et cetera, versus what 90% of the conversation is in the journalism world, because it's closer to their heart, is like, oh, people believe things that they shouldn't believe because they see it online. That's the wrong conversation to have about this stuff, because I also don't think that that's true. I think the soft brains of 12-year-olds is the problem, right. not the hardened brains of dummy 45-year-olds. You know, the way the sort of media landscape is shaking out is just people being really upset that American people don't like the stuff that they like. And, you know, in the yeah. past, it was you would have to go if you wanted a copy of The New Republic. If you wanted a copy of even The Weekly Standard, right, or National Review or something. And you were in Boston in 1990. You had to go. You have to go to Out of Town News, which was in the middle of Harvard Square because they had all the like you couldn't find that shit where all the magazines were in the suburbs, right. right? That stuff didn't exist. It was like people, it was like Time Magazine. If you're exposed to politics, my first exposure to columns was, was actually George Will and like, I guess it was Jeff Greenfield maybe. It was, oh no, the woman uh, who had green in her name. Meg. Meg, Meg yeah. yeah. Back page of, of, of Newsweek, right? And like that was where, and like, is that a good thing? Is that the model? Is there some in between that you Well, want? like, doesn't that get back to what, like, I w what I used to talk about as a virtue of what I used to do of, like, tricking people who would never do that, who would never drive to buy a book, of, a magazine about politics or buy it at all, yes. or even would read it if it was sent to their house and forced in their mouth. Like, what you're doing is literally forcing it. The literally metaphor that I used to use was that people are trying to drive down a highway to get to their children and that there are signposts that you put up on the wall uh, like, like um, highway boards. And some of them are basic. They say like Route 97. The other ones are better. And they say like, you know, you can take a piss here. And if you need to take a piss, you'll, you'll follow it. But you'll pass it if you don't. But really good billboards, you'll fucking turn off even if your wife is pregnant and you're on the way to the hospital. It's a casino and you want to fucking gamble. <laughs> if you can make that billboard good enough, you'll take a fucking detour. And Anderson's I used to think that was soup. a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's 150 miles and it's 100 degrees, but I'm going to fucking go to Anna. It's not good. No, it's not. It never was. <laughs> but like, it's I do think it, that, I do think that all of these words, I agree with everything that you've said. I just think that like, I, I guess like what I, what I wonder is, is I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, I was asked by a book agent very recently when I pitched a book about very something very similar to all of these things that we've been talking about, as which is how we started this conversation, that they said, well, we would like to know a solution at the end of the book. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I was like, well, I can give you bullshit. Did they know you? 
I know. I was like, I can give you reasons that the platforms can change things. And I can tell you that it's better to just talk about it. And, you know, than, yeah. you know, blah, 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 blah. But in reality, these are human things that are not going to change until people have decided. But, but I then and they, they 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 don't give a shit because they're agents about all of it. But I will say this. And it's an idea about cancel culture that I will remember that someone told me my brother told me. Which big, is that eventually big, we're going to get dick. to a place about cancel culture where we're all going to have to agree that there's an amnesty. Like an amnesty in the past. You know, everyone's going to get fired for everything that they've ever done in the past. And eventually that's going to happen to too many things and we're all going to have to go, okay, amnesty. No more. No more from things that happened from past year before. I would like to on. believe, man. That's the answer to that thing, right? Is like the amnesty. We've learned now, but... No one is going to amnesty. And the thing is, I don't know if we'll ever get there, but I do think that the argument that actually, like, eventually this is just going to have to be a necessity. Literally, like, it's, happen it's happening too much. Everyone is going to need to agree to forgive the past at some point. Even if, you know, I don't really... I mean, there's a reason for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission because it was there was a sense amongst people in the ANC, and the ANC was a pretty radical organization in its way, you know? Um, you know, Joe Slovo and there's Soviet influence, and there were just, like, there were some pretty hardcore people in there. So and they, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they, they, all just, they just wanted to play uh, rugby, I think. Right. Or whatever it was. Um, <laughs> but they, like... Did they know they, about ICE? There was... <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mitt Damon doesn't know about Ace. Um, but there's a there's a moment in which you realize that the recriminations from it ruin your society. In that there's no way of ambling forward in any sense, in any way. If you go about dividing society, this is the thing that people don't get about racial politics. Is that one thing that is never measured because it's considered to be so gross that people would even think this way, is racial resentment. Is the fact that there's, I talked to two people last week. This is true, actually. Weirdly happened one after another. Both of whom are, both live in LA, both are super lefty, and both of whom told me a story about not getting a project and being told explicitly it was because they needed a more diverse blah, blah, blah. And they were like pissed off about it. And they, and I was like, man, you, two of them separately, like you sound reactionary. Yeah. <laughs> it was all porn actors. <laughs> and they sound reactionary, right? They're like, they're going kind of crazy, but it's like, fucking, can you believe this? And it's like, no one is measuring the fact that like, this is having such a negative effect on society. And at the same moment, because they're talking about Trump people, the same moment, on the other side of their mouth, they talk about the divisiveness and the division within American politics. You are driving that ship. And you are really, like, Donald Trump is, of course, doing it too. I mean, we know that, though. Donald Trump to, is driving it. Oh, of course. But we don't need but, to point that out because right. it's pointed out every day for us at every fucking moment. We all know it. It's, it's, he's transparent about it too, right? And it's us versus them. It's the most classic, most base version of politics. But the people who are decrying it, Donald Trump doesn't decry it. I mean, he celebrates it. The people who are decrying it are the ones that are driving a wedge 
in so many ways of like saying like an amnesty. There's a point at which I say, oh, this when he was 15, he wrote this thing on an early iteration of the internet and we got to make sure he never has a life again. People don't like that. When people say that Donald Trump was successful because of political correctness, they never actually dig into what that means. If that's true, I don't know if it's true, but let's pretend it is true. What does it mean? There is an exhaustion with this stuff. It is a total exhaustion. It's no point in talking to people that agree with you on this, who have been experiencing it in one way or another from college to today, and that's for me a long time, but talking to the average person who's not Right. You know, in the Midwest, not like the average person who, you know, who lives in L.A., who lives in New York City, who is cosmopolitan in their way, um, but doesn't really follow this stuff, doesn't know who Jonathan Haidt is. <laughs> never, right. But, but they see it's like they're like, what the fuck, man? This is totally. so crazy. But isn't that the keyest point? Like that even people who live in this liberal fucking den of iniquity that we are, no one that I know outside of a very specific type of Twitter and online behavior is exactly not crazy about this. No, they make jokes about it. Right, exactly. They think it's actually bad. Yeah. They like they know that the sensation of going to lunch and having a friend who insists on explaining things constantly to them, yeah. even though they've never at, expressed any interest in learning about that subject. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's the tyranny of the like the ultra minority. Exactly. It's a very, very Which small minority of people. Support my book. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> would just like to point out that one of the the only um, uh, borough of New York that like increased its vote share for right, Joe Clantown. Biden was Staten Island. Yeah, every single other borough by pretty large margins increased their vote share for Donald Trump. Right, but there's December. like eleven people in Clanville. That's also true. <laughs> Is that what we call Close. them? I'm just kidding. I was just kidding. But, Right, well, we've uh, we've been going for like eight hours now. Yes, um, this was know. a very. I want to thank you guys for inviting me. Out right, and it was very sweet. Right, well, we're we're happy to have you. It's our and, listeners too, and I don't it's think us. they're going to actually make that mistake again. No, <laughs> they're going to be like that. I remember yeah. this in a lot different way. Than yeah. Actually, you know, you're like I it's like childbirth. Like I don't. Like yeah, seriously. Like two yeah. days ago, Moynihan were like, "We love Ben," and like, now, <laughs> yeah, now we're like, nope. "Did the Holocaust happen?" I'm not so sure. <laughs> Look, they did Let, lie about what they were in Egypt. Yeah, like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I was on, I was on YouTube, <laughs> and I got recommended this David Irving video, and golly, Willikers. <laughs> What a fraud that was. You know who's beautiful is the actress in that movie about David Irving. Oh, the one. Yes, yes. Uh, Rachel Weisz. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Rachel Weisz. She was in that movie? Yeah. Yeah. She plays uh, Deborah Lipstadt, who does not look like Rachel Weisz. (laughs) You know who are stunningly beautiful are Hollywood actresses. Yes. Weird. Oh, God. You know who's not so attractive? The kids of Hollywood actors and actresses. Wow. wow. It does not. Wow. It does you know not. What? It doesn't you know go the way you think it would. Uh, this is the part of the podcast that we, re- we, we reveal that uh, Ben Drives' real father is Elliot Gould. <laughs> all right, ladies Why and gentlemen, boys so and short? girls, uh, we hate you all and we hate you for suggesting Ben Drives. God thank, bless. Thank you, Ben. Happy Hanukkah. Thank you. Bye. 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 We, we know of new methods of attack. Trojan Horror, the fifth column, 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 column.
the best part.